Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program, folks, to give you the tools to have a better life, better love, better learning, living, leading, all else in that alliteration. Welcome to the program. Have we got a great show for you today? Really, uh, we have got a lineup. We have a powerhouse Guest, actually, one, two, three, every hour, locked and loaded for your learning and enjoyment. Uh, later in this hour, holy cow, we've got a guy that's going to help us make sense of the Middle East, if that is in any way, shape, possible. That'll be tough, but I think he can do it. I think he has the background and the uh, <laughs> I work think experience. At Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Berkeley. You know, yeah. I helping write a constitution for a new country in the Middle East. Like I said earlier, I read this guy's bio, and I felt like I've wasted a lot of time in my life. I felt like this well, guy you, has really taken advantage of the time that he has. Shibley Mallet's going to be joining us. He's a professor of law at uh, the University of Utah, and it was funny <laughs> when you were reading his bio, you just came in depressed. Yeah, like into my office, like wow, I got to quit playing video games he's done so much of you know education type thing and then he's also done giving back oh he's amazing trying to to work on peace in the in his country of lebanon and uh yeah i've played a lot of video games so <laughs> see I'm, grand theft auto is just not helping i don't like really it. compare when it comes to this. maybe what you ought to do on grand theft auto next time is pull up to a university go in maybe take some online courses there is a school in the game <laughs> i bet there is go try that i'm just saying hey here's the deal I about killed myself, yes. No, Monday. And I didn't want to bring it up because it's kind of embarrassing. Driving to work? No. No? no. Just pretty much. I was in my bathroom. Okay. Yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> kind of so an, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard this, but I get up at 440 in the morning. 440 mm. is the number. Everyone always asks, why do you say 440? And I'm like, because that's when I get up. It's when my alarm goes off, actually. <sighs> it's early. And I've been trying to adjust. I'm not a morning person. I'm not really even an evening or a night person. I, I, Mid-afternoon? No, no. Okay. I don't know what person I really am, but I'm tired in the morning. I'm walking. I have to also do everything in the dark because I'm the only one up at 440 in my house, right? Everyone else has a life. And so I was brushing my teeth, walking from my kid's bathroom, which is upstairs, and it's dark. And I was brushing my teeth with uh, my, I usually brush it with my right hand, but I was holding my razor in my left hand. So I left my toothbrush in my mouth. I switched my razor to my right hand and I pulled my toothbrush out with my left hand and I was walking in the dark to the stairs and I went to turn on the lights. I have stair lights that light up my stairs a little bit and I went to turn on the light and I did because I didn't want to fall down the stairs. That would kill you. Right. Don't want to be stupid. Or or severely hurt you. Oh, yeah. horrible. And um, I didn't have a free hand. So I put my toothbrush, what I thought was my toothbrush, in my mouth. 
which was the razor. It was a razor. <laughs> I put my razor in my mouth. And there was this weird alarm that went off in my head. Not a toothbrush. <laughs> you are about to die. I about died. Now, it's the weirdest thing. Because when you're pulling a razor out of your mouth. Not you, that I would know. but Well, yeah, I'll tell yeah. you. <laughs> it's bad. Because everything in your head is like. Easy, easy. <laughs> no sudden movements. <laughs> Don't do this quickly. And then my head, I'm also like, what an idiot. How did you get your razor in your mouth? Anyway. Yeah, mornings are fun. So I'm worried that this job may kill me. If I don't, if I come in and I'm talking with like a really bad like lisp, <laughs> it's because my razor got me. I saw my whole career end. I saw the newspaper story, Matt Townsend dies. With a self-inflicted razor wound in his mouth. Well, that would have been something we would have talked about on the show. Just yeah, you know, I would have made the news in passing. Oh well. Other things from yesterday. Yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu. Did you watch the speech? I watched parts of the speech. I okay. was busy doing the sh- getting the show ready. I did not. Yeah. Because I kind of figured he would say the things he's been saying. By the way, he lit them up. That was he, he got more love. Oh yeah. Per clapping, standing ovation. Per minute, I did, I did see a clip other. of him waving to the yeah. all the senators. Hey guys, how you doing? BB rocked it. And did you see that um, uh, President Obama had a really important meeting he was holding at the same time? He was meeting with uh, heads of state from the EU. Yeah, discussing stuff in a conference call. Okay, you know what that is? That's when your <laughs> mom is like, yeah. "Is anybody going to help me with the dishes?" <laughs> and instead, you go act like you're really busy cleaning your room. So she's throwing a tantrum in the kitchen, and you're in the other room pretending to be busy. I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's re- he read the transcript, President Obama. Mm-hmm. He said there was nothing new. Nothing but new. the core issues remain the same. U.S. Yeah. and Israel are united, as Netanyahu said, to uh, stop it. Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Right. Um, Iran, they had a comment. Uh, he really? says, Netanyahu's lies-spreading campaign against Iran's peaceful nuclear program has become boring and repetitive. Nothing worse than boring the Iranians. They're like, we're bored. Turn the page. Oh, this is so boring. Are we still talking about our nuclear program? When are we going to be done talking about that? I, a lot of people are saying uh, President Obama blew this because he just – all he had to do was basically just say – by by fighting against BB coming, he actually just made it a bigger stage. He should have just gone with it. Said we have our differences, we welcome the prime minister. Yeah. But now everyone would paid attention. Well, to he, you take the the personal, uh, I guess, slight. Yeah, from John John Boehner going yeah. ahead and scheduling this. That was all this. Boehner, right? And that was just Boehner. But yeah, you turned into more of a political thing. That's why the comments yesterday where they're saying we don't want this to be a political football when it already was. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. When the White House makes their comments, it already turns political at that point. So, yeah, mm. it's all a game. Uh, the House passed a bill on Tuesday to, to fund the Department of Homeland Security for Woo! the remainder of the year. So that's off the table. That's off the table. So the fight before that, the week before, pretty much meaningless. Just a fight. Again, a lot of what we see coming out posturing. of D.C. Yeah. ends up being posturing. And ends By up the way, being it's just like every other marriage. Yes. It's, it's negotiating. Fight. Some fights, you know, only loosen. The skids for the win the next week. It's why my wife and I don't fight. 
Oh, don't you? Because for the most part, we, we can recognize that it's pointless. This is not going to Let's work. just get to the solution already and wow. figure it out. Wow, that's, that's very mature. We're very mature. Let's just play, uh, let's just play a video game. No, we, we've already decided that's not the solution <laughs> okay. to anything. Darn it. I always go, hey, let me show you this. No. She's like, no, it's not going to work. I don't care. Not going to work. Uh, Hillary Clinton. Mm. She has a little controversy brewing over her emails. Yeah. Which I guess in... in uh, as you as you look at it, it's the the attention is deserved because she was the Secretary of State, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to uh, uh, document what you do in that job so that it can one be reviewed and yeah. also you know you, historically that type of thing the the, the decision she made. Um, apparently, she used her own private email system. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like she had a <laughs> Gmail account. No, she had her own server in her home that was was processing her email. Hey, by for the her. way, if you need Hillary Clinton's email address, it's hdr22 at clintonemail dot com. Really, that was it. You, you found that you were on an email hdr22 because the other hdrs zero through twenty one were all taken. <laughs> so the the Associated Press traced the computer server. And uh, that sent and received Clinton's emails back and forth from her home in New York. The practice mm-hmm. gave Clinton impressive control over limiting access to her message archives and operating her own server would have afforded Clinton additional legal opportunities to block government or private subpoenas in criminal, administrative, uh-huh. or civil cases. Okay. Now, let's just remember one thing, and then we've got to get to our yes. great guest. Um, at the same time she was doing this, there was the big argument about all of the Clinton documents from his presidency being released to the press and the public. All of those documents over time, like every year, were being released. So they know about document protection of a president. And so anything they say about her breaking the policy is still tied to the fact that she's smart and knows that we're not going to open ourselves up to all of this. And nobody stopped her. That's they right. knew she was doing this. Well, yeah. How do you stop the Secretary of State? Uh, Madam Secretary. Excuse me. Yeah. Next time you send me an email, can you make sure it's on the the Secretary of State email she system? Just, she just said no and did everything yeah. through her server through her home. Uh, no, I won't talk to my people. I am your people. So there's something else to watch this week. As it this is going to be out. fun. Oh, this is fun. Good times. Good times. Had by all. Hey, uh, great guest coming up. Really, we feel very fortunate to have Shibley Mallet's going to be joining us. He's a, a professor of law at the University of Utah, but really has basically been everywhere else in the world. He's from Lebanon. Uh, he's been to the University of London where he got his law degree, been to Harvard, to Yale. He's taught there at Princeton as well. All over the country. And we are going to ask him to basically make sense of the Middle East. Give us just a layman's view and understanding of what is going on from ISIS to Iraq, Afghanistan. What is going on, my friends? We have the source. Shibley Mallet will be up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, so much is going on in the Middle East, and it has been, when you think about it, since uh, 
since 9-11. We've really been thrown in to uh, understanding and trying to deal with the conflicts going on in the Middle East on many fronts. And if you remember yesterday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke to a joint session of Congress about his country's concerns with Iran developing a nuclear weapons program. The conflicts and issues that have been defined in the Middle East are built on hundreds of years of history, right? So we wanted to kind of sort through it all and sort through just get information, really, is what we want to do. Make sure you're informed and understand maybe the deeper story and some of the history going on. And so we went looking for an expert that that could help us. And we found at the University of Utah, Shibli Malat, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but he is he has a law degree from the University of London. He is a legal practitioner and consultant. Um, he also has has extensive experience working in uh, in government in politics. He he actually went to Iraq in 2010 and served as a senior legal advisor to the Global Justice Project, which helped create the Constitution. And some of the, you know, kind of the overarching philosophies around how Iraq would run as well. He's also a leading, uh, received an award for leading human right defender from the Carter Center in 2005. We are so excited and honored to have him. Shibli Malat, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mr. Townsend. It is so great to have somebody that gets, to some degree, the Middle East. And I, as we begin this, I just, I, I guess... We, I want to cover many things, and I know you don't have a lot of time, but to help me understand, all of us, what just a, just a history, I mean, a quick overview of the Middle East and Israel. Can you just get us up to speed a little bit on that? Well, of course, um, the atmosphere that we witness in the Middle East is mirroring a longstanding tension between what was Europe and what is now the West and uh, the Arab region and and Islam. And so if one were to look for roots that resemble an atmosphere that we have today, one has to go back uh, a thousand years. This tension has never abated, and it continued through the years with continuous wars between uh, successor empires, notably the Ottoman Empire, um, and 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 the West, uh, and what we witness now is a reformulation, alas, of a war of religions that had been um, had that been uh, dormant for a while, um, and took another um, another very important um, manifestation in the creation of the state of Israel as part of a colonial project in the late 19th century. So this sort of um, clash of civilizations, as the great international relations late professor uh, at Harvard, um, uh, Samuel Huntington, had it, is probably the best key to understand what's happening in the Middle East now. And when you think about it, like you said, a thousand years, and then, and then, uh, you know, the the um, creating the ho- homeland again through. I guess more political means and war for Israel created more tension today, and so I guess when we think about it, is there is there a really a U.S. political solution that will change it? 
Well, solutions for a thousand-year project uh, um, of, of wars, uh, which is, of course, not the, the intent of the people themselves originally, is always an elusive question. So what we can now best do is to try to focus a bit more on what is making Middle Easterners unhappy and try to diffuse some of those tensions. Hmm. And so uh, for each situation, of course, there's a long uh, domestic history. Uh, the issue of Israel is one that is now based on an idea uh, that is almost universally accepted of a two-state solution. Unfortunately, the current prime minister of Israel does not support that solution. We tried very hard to get it through with him, and it didn't work. Uh, but people don't have an alternative uh, in Israel-Palestine, but to create this. And unless that tension is resolved, in other words, some of the plight of the Palestinians over the past 60, 70 years, which is partly their doing, but mostly the doing of the creation of the State of Israel, needs to be solved. But alongside this, you have problems in Iraq, you have problems in Iran, uh-huh. you have problems across the Middle East, uh, some of which erupted in the so-called Arab Spring, and here one has to deal with unhappiness of people with their own governments. Here, unfortunately, uh, the policy of the United States has been significantly under retreat, even though a lot of the people who revolted actually uh, bandish American values of democracy and dignity uh, against their governments. Mm. And there was no serious response in America to embrace that immense tidal wave that started in 2011. Yeah, the, they call that the spring? Is that what they call the the Arab well, spring? Well, I don't like this word. I have a book out where I talk about the Middle East Revolution, and we have to think of it as yeah. in terms that uh, great historians of uh, the so-called Atlantic Revolution, you see in the late 18th century. Yeah. It was certainly an American revolution, but it was also a French one and a Dutch one. And so this general concept helps us understand that what's happening in the Middle East is something generational mm. that needs to be looked at exactly in the terms that you say with a, with a long view. And I guess when you think about... Um, you, so, so basically, help me understand as the layman that so the Arab nations, many of the Arab uh, countries and um, Islamic countries, I guess it might be better. Uh, they are they're frustrated by Israel because Israel came in, basically took over a part of land from Palestine, Palestinians, and basically the idea eventually then became. Politically, let's the two. When you say a two-state uh, approach, that would be giving Palestine their own country uh, and calling it their own country and letting it be their own land. But Israel doesn't want to give that land or that status back to Palestine. Exactly, and it's not um, the whole of Israel. The current leader of Israel and the party that he represents uh, is generally averse to a two-state solution. The former Prime Minister and President of Israel, Shimon Peres, of course, is the leading voice historically in support of the two-state solution mm. in Israel. And then, I guess, I'm assuming, because of that and that oppression of fellow is- Islamic you know, followers and also Arabs, we, Iran it has, has a mission, basically, to destroy Israel. Absolutely. So... The festering Palestinian issue has been at the heart of a continuous 
uh, dissatisfaction uh, in in the region, which uh, the current regime in Iran is banking on to advance its own interests. Mm. And so a lot of these countries... So it's true that the Israeli government has been has been short on providing... Uh, on providing support for uh, diffusing the tension, uh, especially by rejecting um, the, the idea of a two-state solution. But it's also true that uh, Iran and other countries uh, are using this uh, to promote their, 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 own, uh, their own interests. And mostly they have been interests in expansion. And we have always to look, Mr. Thousand, I think, to the domestic situation in each country. Yeah. Yeah, because that creates the spirit of it. In 2009, people were very unhappy with the regime of the mullahs. Uh, Here again, unfortunately, the American government did not show uh, any form of support to people who essentially shared their own ideals. Uh, And now, mainly, Iran is running amok in in the region uh, and has been advancing its interests in Syria where they're supporting a very bloody regime mm. in uh, in Yemen, where uh, their supporters or their colleagues uh, in Yemen have taken over Sana'a, the capital, this summer, uh, and continue to uh, to transform what was an extraordinary revolution against uh, the regime back in 2011 into a civil war between Shias and Sunnis. Mm. So there is a dimension which is domestic to each country that yeah. we need to understand in the same way as you understand what's happening, for instance, in the Netanyahu speech yesterday in terms of American domestic politics, there's always that dimension. Well, and it's I, I love your insight to all of this, uh, Professor Malat, because when I think about the complexity of it and then I, I think about the American timing, which is strong at one point, but also may have helped, you know, create the Israeli state at, at maybe – you know, and diminishing a Palestinian state. Then I also see it weaker at times, like when the revol- the Middle East revolution starts to hit, where if we if we had just asserted ourselves a little bit more in certain places, we may have been you know politicking potentially better and and actually supporting people uh, through a revolution that we're having similar values with us. It's it's such a it's such a complex concept, and and I mean the whole Middle East is so complex, so. Uh, Let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to come back, and I really want you to help us more understanding Iraq. I want to understand ISIS and the movement of ISIS, as it might be now preying on certain, you know, certain uh, countries and their domestic situations and maybe even the void of leadership. Um, And I just want your insight, too, to find out what we should be doing, what you would suggest we do as Americans and uh, in this political process and how we can pull or do be more involved in it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we're talking with Shibley Malat from the University of Utah Law School, and uh, we'll be back trying to unfold the chaos and understanding of the Middle East. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are trying to make some sense of the Middle East. Now, we're not going to solve all the problems of the Middle East, but we've got to understand them, right? So 
Benjamin Netanyahu, BB, they call him, comes to town. It's got all of its own politics wrapped up in that. And gives a great speech. Lots of, I think there's like 40 standing ovations. Lots of applause. Basically what he's talking about, though, in the end is Israel cannot tolerate, supposedly, having Iran with nuclear weapons. President Obama is trying to negotiate, as are other countries, with Iran to to basically stop making a nuclear weapon. And, and, and they're trying to make, you know, a, a peaceful solution to that. So it's confusing. And, and there's more to it. There's a thousand years of successive empires and religious, classic religious uh, kind of warring and tribal warring that have been going on. We're not going to solve it, but we've brought on uh, a, a wonderful professor, Shibley Malat, who is a professor at the University of Utah and um, is also, I mean, just has such an incredible, vast amount of experience that um, he, he really is the real deal. Princeton University, he's been a researcher and teaching position there at Yale, at Harvard as well, and um, was the founder and chairman of RightToNonviolence.org, which is a great website. If you want to go check that out, you can learn more about the Right to Nonviolence, whose mission is to give efficacy to nonviolence through law where possible and through democratic mobilization where necessary. So again, uh, Professor Malat, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Talk to us about um, the, the, since the Iraqi war, and, and you were a part of of the the making of the constitution for the Iraqis. What happened? I, you know, a, a lot of people are like, we thought that war was done, and we thought that we had helped to, f- to free a country. What ended up happening? Um, there is a large controversy uh, on the war, uh, and and it was the main reason for the access of the current president to his position because he was the lone voice in American politics that stood against it. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I have a more mitigated position towards this. While I thought the war was a bad idea, um, and the use of the weapons of mass destruction, as you recall, yeah. allegedly in Saddam Hussein's hands, a very poor reason. Uh, I still think, and, uh, and I think that most Iraqis are grateful to the United States for having uh, uh, helped them get rid of one of the worst tyrants in modern history, Saddam Hussein. So we have a very mixed bag there, uh, a consequence which is a good one, that the Iraqis uh, are free, and, and it's extraordinary to see the level of freedom that is in, uh, in Baghdad, people speaking their minds, uh, free from one of the worst dictatorships on earth, uh, thanks to America, first and foremost, but not actually being grateful enough for this, because America went for the wrong reason, mm. uh, and those reasons were the weapons of mass destruction, instead of saying straightforwardly that what uh, Mr. Hussein represented was something that the world could not tolerate. Interesting. And so being on the wrong premise has created this um, mismatch of uh, American-Iraqi reality and, uh, and the language that goes behind it. Now... Um, as in all these other regimes in the Middle East, when you have a dictatorship that goes on for 40 years, one should not expect the country to go back to normal in 24 hours. Yeah. It took five years for Germany that only had Hitler for, recall, you know, 14, 15 years. Uh-huh. Saddam Hussein was in power for 40. 
And so it destroys the sinews of society, and that takes a long time to, um, to put back together. Uh, and so Iraq has been going through very difficult moments, some more hopeful as in 2008-2010 when we were there helping the Iraqi government and uh, the American government to talk law together on a, on a common basis. Uh, and that was the constitution you referred to. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you have a very dangerous sectarian rift in Iraq, mostly between Sunnis and Shias, the two large uh, Muslim constituency. And that brings us back to the, you know, 1500 years of strife yeah. between the two communities. And that takes time to to, to resolve. Um, and uh, and ISIS was one of those results when the current. Uh, well, the, the former prime minister of Iraq, Maliki, uh, hung on to power and started a small uh, replica of Saddam Hussein. People revolted. But the revolt took the shape, mostly of ISIS. The whole Sunni areas of Iraq, in a matter of days, collapsed to the rule of, uh, of those guys who came in banking on the failure of uh, the prime minister in Iraq mm. to provide a government, a unified government that represents everybody and are still there with their extraordinary rule of cruelty. Now, we succeeded, and in the summer I was visiting Baghdad and I helped, I knew the president, the current president and the current speaker well, and we succeeded with a lot of, uh, with a lot of uh, um, help from uh, American governments, uh, Western governments, even Iran, uh, to get rid of Maliki and replace him with a far more unifying figure, who is the current prime minister. So the hope is that this current prime minister will be able to muster enough unity amongst the Iraqis in order to roll back ISIS. And this is uh, what is mostly happening in Iraq now, an effort by the new government, far more unified, to roll back ISIS with the help of America. Is... is, um is the United States respected, I guess, enough to to keep maintaining the security? Is that what, I guess, Iraq kind of needed and needs, is just a secure place to grow their their government, their laws, to grow some, you know, to grow some maturity in democracy? Is that, should that be the United States' role? Is that our role that would we would be best serving the Middle East? You know, it's a very good question, and uh, I I think that you're right, and that a lot of people in America are right in saying, you know, that's not our problem. Why should it always land on our doorstep, yeah. that these people be mature? But I think it'd be too simplistic, in the sense that America has a long policy, has been a world power since 1945, has been, for instance, the main supporter of the Saudi government. To just turn your back and say, well, it's not our responsibility, it simply doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, America prides itself of being the greatest supporter of Israel, for instance. Right. Well, um, being such a great supporter and supporting the two-state solution, why do, not, do we not have a two-state solution yet? Yeah. Why is this immense power? Similarly, in Iraq, when, they went, when, when the Americans went in in, uh, in 2004, um, there was a a moment of hope in Iraq for for a good while, and then it receded. And then America, you remember the, the the Sunni awakening, as it was called, brought to help bring it back. I have no doubt that without American power this summer, the whole Kurdish region would have been overwhelmed by ISIS. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, 
The problem is that there is a disconnect. So people feel, and they're right here, that they're making a lot of sacrifices that are not recognized by the people over there. Mm -hmm. And the people over there are not recognizing it because they're feeling that America is not following a coherent policy. It is supporting those dictatorships, old-style, like Saudi Arabia. They're supporting Israeli policy of taking up further land for the Palestinians. So it's hard for the common folk over there to understand what America is about. It sees it at the same time brandishing those high values of human yeah. rights and at the same time supporting some of the worst possible regimes right. and policies in the region. We're so, so confusing. There's a problem there that needs to be really addressed yeah. much more coherently Do, by American policymakers. Let me ask you this. Um, there's been a big uh, kind of, you know, hiccup. I don't know, hiccup, but... President uh, Obama really doesn't want to call this Islamic extremism, right? And the, the uprisings, and I think, and, and ISIS, basically. I, and and yeah. is that? I mean, it's very nuanced. I get it, and I get his argument is not to. He doesn't want Islam to think we are at a war with Islam. Right. Um, is that received over there? Do they get that? That's that he's that he's trying that hard to not. To be a friend, or is that is that just you know nuance well, that doesn't need to be nuanced? You know, I'm 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 more um, blunt about this. I think there is an element which is Islam there that we cannot discard, and that we have to talk frankly about these things that cost a lot of lives. So those militants in ISIS, they call themselves. I mean, it's the Islamic State yeah. of uh, of Iraq and Syria. There's actually a more precise word for this that we should use because they call themselves State of the Islamic Caliphate. Mm -hmm. The acronym SIC corresponds much better to what they are. We should use that better than ISIS. Uh, So there's an element there. The president is trying to dissociate that from Islam generally, and he's right. But he's not quite successful because he can't use the word Islam without fearing, antagonizing a billion-plus people in the world. Uh, the French uh, Prime Minister had a similar problem re- recently. He talked about Islamofascism. Yeah. I actually support this idea. Let's talk, let's say things as they are. There's an element mm-hmm. uh, distorted in Islam, obviously, like uh, there is an element distorted in, uh, in Italian nationalism in the 30s that is called fascism. It's Italian fascism. It's Islamofascism in, uh, in the Middle East, and I couldn't shy from calling it what it is. Uh, even if there is this... You see, the problem is that Islam is at war with itself. The largest number of people who are killed by ISIS are Muslims. Right. Uh, It's an infinitely smaller number of Westerners who are killed, uh, horrendous as it is. So the question is, how do you get the right type of people in the Middle East dominating and winning that war, which is mostly making Muslim victims Mm. uh, in the neighborhood? Well, and it seems like, too, we intervene enough to create problems, but not enough to solve problems, maybe. And and maybe that is exactly. one of your great gifts, right? That's one of the goals you have, is to get in and and maybe may establish more laws and, and teach more democracy and then let that grow in an, in an Islamic or even Arabic way. Well, yes, and it's, you know, it's not rocket science. People are the same all over the place, and they want the same things. They want security for their children. They want uh, to be able to to speak their minds freely without having the goons of a regime clamping down on them. And this is what makes America 
so alluring and, and so disappointing at the same time because we sort of rely on Americans naturally as our soulmates in, uh, in democracy and human rights, and we feel that there is not enough response. Mm. Americans say, well, grow up, guys, and they're probably right to some extent, but uh, I don't think it's easy just to disentangle a world leadership like America is from any region in the world, right. that simply it's just a fact of life that since 1945, the whole world has been um, dominated for those of a Chomsky, uh, of the Chomsky persuasion, or led for those of the more, um, of the, of the more uh, supportive dimension, uh, of the more supportive school for, for what America stands for, uh, democracy and human rights. And this tension continues and will not abate soon. What I am on the side of is the belief that uh, that people share the same general values of human rights, and that America, as the leader of 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 those rights, should not shy away from brandishing them across the world, including in the Middle East, and finding the people who uh, who think like them uh, to be their greatest supporters and the people they support most. Well, Shibley Malat, we we appreciate your insight. Uh, we know you've got to go back and and get to work. Um, so we appreciate your time with us, and uh, truly, you know, uh, also just simply appreciate your honesty, your directness about it. There's so much complexity to this, and it's just one of those things where, you know, as humans, we we all need to know more about this instead of just picking a side and listening to our favorite news source that will pick one side over the other. Let's start understanding the complexity of it everybody you can go to uh, right to nonviolence.org and learn more about the work that shibley malat is doing and uh and educate yourself inform yourself as to what's going on in the middle east we'll take a break when we come back continue this discussion and some more headlines coming up right here on the matt townsend show on byu radio Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just had our tutorial on the Middle East. And uh, you know what? <laughs> are we... We are... It's so presumptuous as a country, it seems like, that we would just... We're just going to go in there and fix these places. We're just going to fix them. I mean, it's... Folks, it's complex, right? This is This is tribal warfare. These are branches of islam these are uh countries that have each of them have their own situation they all have their own problems i mean we sit there now and see in the united states ferguson has a major blow-up la a man is shot new york a man is strangled by police forces every one of those have completely uh, we would say just one thing in common but also different things. Every one of those cities offer different things to their organ, to their the groups in there, and the the cultures and the the different uh, ethnic groups and just lifestyles, and it's different. And yet, we expect the Middle East, I guess, to be all the same. There is a lot of stuff going on, and interestingly, a lot of the stuff the Middle East is dealing with would probably be because of politics 
that the U.S. has participated in over the many years. And a lot of the great things that have saved the Middle East are because of the United States of America. It's complicated. And that goes back to everything we've ever talked about on this show. Most human systems, folks, are very complicated. It's not ever just one cause, one effect. When uh, when Barack Obama and Bibi Netanyahu are fighting with each other, I guess they just want to each think it's one cause, one effect. But Bibi is dealing with all of the complexity of Israel, and all of the Middle East conflict isn't going away, along with a thousand years, along with uh, just economic status, along with what happened in Iraq, which also happened because of 40 years of a dictator, one of the worst ever, according to our last guest. And then Iraq collapses, but it's just pretty much because Obama pulled out the troops, except for the fact that there was 40 years of weakening of a whole population of people. And we can't ever expect a simple solution. Well, then let's just pull out and be done with it all. Why do we need to worry about it? Well, you pretty much wouldn't until, you know, historically you were strangled by gas prices. (laughs) Then you'd have to worry about it again. Right? I mean, see the complexity of this? And and again, it's – there's no easy answer. And somewhere – it's it's so interesting to just hear uh, the, the, this guest talk to us about how how complicated it is. How in one minute all of the people in the Middle East they see the United States helping is so alluring. They want the U.S. to step in so much, and then they're so disappointed when we do. They're so let down, and then they don't want them around anymore. Oh, and then it gets bad, and they need them back, and they need them back. Oh, but they're so disappointed. There's the complexity of the system. And then meanwhile, President Obama wants to be delicate with how we talk about, you know, Islam. We're not at war with Islam. And that's so appropriate. And that spirit is so powerful and ought to be appreciated. Meanwhile, simultaneously, we have to speak straight. This is the paradox of the political structure in the Middle East. It's also, by the way, it's probably not far from your own home, right? Where you and your spouse are fighting. And if she would just, you know, quit nagging you about getting the lawn mowed, it would be fine. So she quits nagging you about getting the lawn mowed. And amazingly, you still don't mow the lawn. So whether she nags you or doesn't, you still don't mow the lawn because you don't like to mow the lawn, quite honestly. You're waiting for the your children to get older so they can mow the lawn. And we fight about it. And we fight about the lawn like the lawn is the real issue. And we fight about all of these things. But uh, uh, Shibli Malat made a wonderful point that in the end, the kids, the Arab kids, the those Islamic families want the exact same thing that you want with your family. They want the exact same thing. They want safety. They want to to know that they can have a meal and be safe. They want to know that they can grow and develop their kids, that their children can learn and not have to worry about being bombed. Right. By the way, Israel wants the same thing, which is why we're fighting so much about uh, Iran getting a nuclear weapon. And to add irony and complexity to the whole thing, Students start rebelling against in Iran and start an uprising 
And the U.S. overtly, apparently, didn't do anything. And the same thing happened in Syria, do you remember, with the Middle East Revolution? They called it the Spring, Arab Spring or whatever. He, uh, our guest liked better the idea of the Middle East Revolution, that you calling it that. So if all of a sudden people of like minds and beliefs start to fight back, that might be the moment where the U.S. needs to step in. Meanwhile, let's add the complexity that as Americans, we are war-weary. The last thing we need is another war. So we're not going to do anything because we're tired. So the moment arrives where we could actually fix it, but we're too tired to handle it. Last night in a class, I was I teach classes for couples in how to manage conflict and we were teaching them basically how to talk and how we, it takes about four weeks to get to the place where we can finally teach them how to start communicating through their issues. And this woman raises her hand and says, what happens when you're just too sick of it? You're too tired to talk anymore. So, and I just clarified. So what you're saying is you've spent three, four years, whatever, fighting so much that now you're too tired to actually do it right. And she's like, yep. There we go. It's the exact same problem we've got in the Middle East. We're also tired of the fighting, and yet the fighting could have been prevented if we had just been more effective. And I, I'm not going to make this a Republican-Democrat thing. This is an American thing. And if we don't know enough about it, it's our fault, right? And if our elected officials aren't doing enough about it, it's their fault. But they're still your elected officials. So I, the thing about this show, I don't ever want to make it about Republican-Democrat. This is about the United States of America, and because you're the big superpower and you now receive all the powers and benefits of superpower status, guess what? It's our problem. No, it's the Middle East problem. Well, have you noticed the Middle East problem? When we don't do something about it, it becomes your problem. Man, complexity, isn't it? And it doesn't go away. So, well, what am I supposed to do about it, Matt? You know what? I guess just... Start being more effective at home and start being more informed when it comes to politics. And I don't know that I would just go to the easiest sources to get my information for what's really going on in the Middle East. My daughter lived there. I've visited Israel. I've visited uh, Egypt. I've seen the, the border crossings for Jordan. I've seen border crossings for Lebanon. It's an intense place, and it's the most beautiful place you'll ever see, and it's just filled with a bunch of humans who all want the same thing that you do. So one thing I would do probably is I'd be seriously grateful that you are in the United States because it's a blessing no matter how bad it's getting in your neighborhood. It's a blessing. We're going to take a break, folks. Uh, Hour number one. It's in the books. Done. Wrap a bow on it. We'll be back uh, next hour. We got a, a great guest. You may have heard of him before. Uh, Robert, Robert, or sorry, Guy Kawasaki is joining us. Great author. He's going to teach us about uh, social media and the art of social media. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. 
Welcome to the program, everybody. Another great hour coming at you. Guy Kawasaki is going to be joining us. The art of social media, power tips for power users. Guy is a, a marketing expert, uh, an evangelist for Apple he was many years ago. But he just knows how to reach people, and he's going to teach us in a little bit about you know social media, how you could be using it more effectively to build your brand, to build your identity, stuff like that. Tips of the trade. Uh, I personally, I, I just started using Twitter. I mean, I've always used Twitter, but I really actually started using it because Terry forced me to do that. I did not force you. It was pretty aggressively forced upon me. Okay. But I, I like it a lot. But I don't tweet. And you know why I don't tweet? Hashtags. What about them? Are you I morally don't, against hashtags? I don't or? get them. I don't understand them. I, don't, I do like to say the word hashtag. What don't you understand? The idea of a hashtag is yeah. there's an event going on. Mm-hmm. This hashtag is associated with the event. Yeah. Everyone commenting on that event uses the hashtag. So when you tap the hashtag, all you see is that hashtag. So you, it's a place yeah. where you can. it's kind of organizing all yeah. that content together. My problem is I think every idea deserves its own hashtag. That's the problem with hashtags is that people abuse the hashtag. See, I would be a hashtag abuser. Like if we, we tweet from the show, mm-hmm. we could put hashtag BYU Radio. That's great. Or hashtag the Matt Townsend Show. Those are possible hashtags, I but like not those. necessarily. But see, I would also say hashtag Guy Kawasaki, hashtag the art of social media, hashtag BBC News, hashtag James is getting married. See? Hashtag now you're abusing buy hashtags. your wife knives. I'd say it all. Hashtag I stuck a razor in my mouth. Hashtag almost died. See, to me, I use it yeah. like a period. Now you're a Saturday Night Live skit. Where yeah. they do that. Is that what they do? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, it was Jimmy Fallon. I always get those mixes. Is it Jimmy he, Fallon? He was on Saturday Night It's Live, over but my it's head. It's a Jimmy Fallon skit. Yeah. It's out of my pay grade. And. Hashtag. Hashtag. I, then, there's, then there's the next one. I'm not going to pin stuff. I'm not a pinner. Pinterest? Yeah. I'm not. My wife likes that. My wife likes. My, actually, my wife doesn't, but my people in my office like it. So I'm pinning stuff left and right. A lady came up to me. I love pinning your stuff. And I was like, what? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> don't you dare pin me. Don't you have meetings where you discuss these things? Uh, that's the thing. I don't like meetings. Okay. And it's hard because I'm not growing a healthy company because <laughs> I never have a meeting. Anyway, whatever. Do you like Netflix? Love it. It's when I have a free moment, if I'm not playing 10-10, yes. I'm on Netflix. You're on Netflix. Or Deer Hunter 2014. I found... <laughs> Ding. That's the ding. I found this story of uh, the last few minutes as I'm you know, scrolling you, through Twitter. You started laughing when you found it. Well, it is quite funny. Usually- I this, thought you were laughing at me. This is from Business Insider. Okay. Usually Netflix takes up about 30% of the available bandwidth in the United States. Yeah. That's, that's by the way, that number is absurd. Yeah. That's a lot of bandwidth. Over the weekend- One greedy company. Over the weekend, they released their third season of the, the, the show House of Cards, mm-hmm. which is quite popular. It took up 45%. Almost half the available bandwidth in the country was dedicated to watching this show. To a bunch of binge watchers. Yes. Which we've already talked about on this show causes depression. You get done and just, oh, I'm such a loser. (laughs) I sat here for 13 hours. Just binge watched House of Cards. (laughs) That's amazing. I still didn't mow the lawn. You still haven't got the lawn mowed. (laughs) 45%. Yes. 
but think that. I mean, that's that's why we need net neutrality. Well, wasn't that one of the arguments? One of the arguments was that the big providers throttle. Yeah. When you over, if they feel like you're overusing so, your amount of the bandwidth by using things like Netflix, wasn't Netflix in negotiations with Comcast and they were throttling Comcast? Netflix was being throttled by Comcast because they were lowering their speeds. And when the negotiations went down, the speeds would slow. Yeah. And when the negotiations were up for Comcast, I guess the speeds would there, speed up. There's Netflix. graphs from certain companies that track this. Interesting. And you see that Netflix is going slower until the date they signed a deal with Comcast, and then their bandwidth shot straight up through the roof. So That is... But Comcast denied they ever throttled. Well, I didn't do it anything. It wasn't us. Come on. Yeah. So do you want to live or not? So that's interesting. We can talk about that with uh, Jay McFarlane tomorrow yeah, when he joins that. the show to talk about technology. Mm, I love technology. To get his opinion on binge watching. Yeah. I bet you he likes it. He does. Sure he does. Other news that's going on. Yeah. BNSA. You ever uh, seen their building in yeah, we have Baltimore, a build- Maryland area? Not in Maryland, no. But we have a building here. Well, that's more of just a... We have a big concrete a big wall. Ser- a big server farm where yeah. they keep all of our personal information. It's where they house the spies. They're prote- no, there's no spies. No, it's the, all computers. I heard it's just, just rooms and rooms of dorms for spies. There's like three guys, about 500 Roombas that fly around just keeping the dust down. <laughs> yeah, keeping the dust down. <laughs> That's good. What's and going on with the NSA in Maryland? Someone's driving around. Well, someone yesterday took a shot at one of the buildings on their Maryland campus. Really? Who shoots? They don't at- know if they're shooting from a, a freeway that's near there or if they were in a wooded area and took a, a rifle shot, I guess, at I bet the he building. Did. I bet that's just some innocent farmer trying to shoot a raccoon. The police in the area think the incident is connected to five other incidents across Uh-oh. three different counties, which left two people wounded. <gasps> Whoever was doing the shot at a, uh, a Walmart a movie theater, and fired at a garbage truck where they injured two passengers. You're kidding. Okay, so this is back to the, this is the sniper guy. Possibly. Oh, that's they scary. They don't know. They don't want to, you know, do that kind of thing where you scare people. By well, I don't want to scare anybody, but anybody that would shoot at the NSA, <laughs> yeah. something's not right with them. That's scary. Take a shot at one of their buildings. Oh, well, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's worse than a raccoon, you know? A raccoon? Yeah. You got to get the you got to get those varmints off your property. We're talking. Oh, this is one I wanted to share for you. You had the it was a type of milk you had before. Was it Coca Cola? Yeah, had it was a Coca Cola milk? milk. Okay, is it a protein enriched uh-huh. type thing? Uh huh. From had, Mag- we, Mega Super Cows, we had some taste tests. We did. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Mm, carbonated. Mm. What about Peeps flavored milk? Ugh, I don't like Peeps, but really, yes. Who's doing that? That's crazy. A company called Prairie Farms, mm-hmm. partnering with Just Born, who makes Peeps, and they're putting out uh, in the next few weeks a uh, marshmallow milk, a chocolate marshmallow milk, and an Easter eggnog flavored milk. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to be available, yeah. but uh, yeah, Peeps flavored milk. You know what? Uh, Peeps are only around for like a month, aren't they? Then well, like. And it's, they're it's themed. Over. They're themed. I, I've seen them for St. Patrick's Day oh, really? and some other. St. Patty's peeps. I've seen some Fourth of July peeps. You can buy them online at any point, and they last forever. That's what's great about them. Yeah, they last forever. It's like Twinkies and even when they're hardened, peeps. you can eat them. You just microwave them. What are they called soft. when they're hardened? If they're peeps, when they're soft and weapons, just malleable blunt objects. I'm not a peep guy. It's too much sugar. Even hearing the story just raised my heart rate. Did it? Uh-huh. I'm going to check my my iPhone, my iWatch. Next week. Oh, don't even have it. That comes out probably 
later, first of April. By the way, remind me, I don't have a uh, Mac watch. What are they calling Mac watch? Apple watch. Apple watch. Don't don't remind me, I don't have one because I keep looking at mine that I don't have. Expecting it to do something. You're just telling the time. Yeah. Step up. It's interesting. Um, Peep Milk, the Mac watch. See, the Mac watch, I'm, I'm an- eagerly Apple anticipating. Watch. I mean, Apple, Apple watch. watch. The Mac watch. I know, but Apple watch sounds like we're all watching Apple for a new announcement. Well, we kind of are. Let's call it the iWatch. They're not calling it that. See, here's the deal. This is why they don't have me as a marketing brand expert. They need Guy Kawasaki, our next guest. He is the real deal, folks. He worked with Apple. He uh, also worked um, with Motorola. He's written a bunch of books, and today he's going to come teach us about social media and really how to maximize your social media. He's got a book out, um, Social Media Basically 101 is, is what the book's about. We'll be talking about it when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, so excited to have our next guest on the show. I am a big fan of one of his books. Uh, he wrote the book called Enchantment, which is basically how you relate to other people to help transform situations um, with them and relationships with them, how to kind of turn ugly situations into to, to more connected, uh, persuasive, more powerful situations for you as a human being. His name is Guy Kawasaki, and uh, Guy is the chief evangelist for a, a, a company called Canva, an online graphic design tool. Formerly, he was an advisor to Motorola Business Unit and uh, a Motorola Business Unit of Google. He was also the chief evangelist of Apple. He's the author of many books of Ape, uh, What the Plus was one book, Enchantment, and nine other books. The book we're talking about today, though, is The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users. Mr. Guy Kawasaki joins us now live. Guy, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. It's an honor to have you on the show. I I have loved uh, your books and your insight. You really are, you're kind of a marketing mind, really. <laughs> is that accurate? You're, you're a... Yeah, you're a marketing, a people, well, I, a, a motivator. I, I am a marketing. Uh, I do have a mind. And, <laughs> and you do marketing. I am in marketing, so I guess I'm a marketing mind, yeah. <laughs> so this book, though, about social media, the art of social media, power tips for power users, how would a marketing guy, wh- what was the step from there to getting into the social media tools? Well, social media, I believe, is the new marketing. So it's not something that you do after marketing. Uh, is done and everything else is done and in particular for small businesses and for individuals social media equals marketing yeah the same thing at this point and i learned a lot about this because i have to use social media for promotion of my books and things and i am now chief evangelist of canva which is an online graphics design service that every listener should be using to make social media graphics and business cards infographics Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So when people want to do a meme for their site or they want an infographic, they could go to Canva and you'll help them make it look suitable. Suitable. We go far beyond suitable. (laughs) We'll make it look awesome. You'll make it, yeah, rock. 
Uh, I, to me, but you're more than that too, because this doesn't just have to even be a business idea. You're you're also trying to teach just the average person how to be a more usable or knowledgeable user of social media. Yes. Uh, well, we want to take people, and uh, this is not something that is a book of high-level strategies like, you know, you need to engage. Right. We assume you know that. We're going to show you how to engage, how to perfect your profile, your avatar, how to find content, how to post the content, how to respond to comments, how to socialize a meeting. Uh, Extremely tactical. Uh, Not a lot of theory in this book. Well, in fact, it's interesting because a lot of the the reviews that you had that come from techies that are already pretty astute in social media, even most of those were saying, look, I know a lot about this stuff, but if you need a book of just the tools for social media, this is the book. This will give you the sourcing to go get all of these answers taken care of. So yep. That's pretty good accolades. <laughs> we, we, we try to make the definitive resource for social media. Um, do you, do you ever do you ever get just tired of it, guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> like just tired of ah, oh, there it goes again. Oh boy! And I mean, yeah, j- like, the social media like side of it. LeBron all. James, you ever get tired of playing basketball? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's true. Uh, you know, I'm sure he does actually. Yeah. And yes, you know, social media for me is not something I do just to show pictures of you know me and my uh, dog walking on the beach. So, on the other hand, it is what I do. I mean, that's, yeah. It de- kind of defines me. So, uh, it's a profession for me. When I think of... Do you ever, do you ever get tired of being uh, on the radio? You know what, guy? Every day. <laughs> Every well, day. There you go. About there 9.40. I guess I have to take a nap for about 10 minutes. No, I don't, <laughs> but I do get... I, I get it. I, I'm tired. And then I think... Ah, uh, but I still have to go do all my social media. I still have to go do everything else on top of it. So it can be overwhelming. But this is one of the reasons I, I love um, what you've done. Because if I imagine, if I could take the theories that you teach in Enchantment, which is really about being able to influence people more fully, mm-hmm. and connect it to a tool like social media or any, any of, and you're not, you don't really care which one we're using. You'll teach us whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn. If I could take the enchantment principles to, to emphasize my passion and influence people and then have the tools to do it, I can change my circle of influence. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, unlike people in the past, who, what do they have, a phone and a fax machine and an airplane yeah, ticket? Right. We have social media, which is fast and free and ubiquitous. Uh, this is the best time ever to be a marketing person. What, what do you think about, if I'm just the average you know, Joe, not really even trying to build a brand per se, but I do want my kids to be connected to me. I want mm-hmm. my family to not be bored by my posting. <laughs> What what are some of the things that I should know? Uh, Probably the most important thing is to try to always add a graphic or a video to your posts. Hmm. That just makes it you know two or three times more interesting. And that's so that's the data, huh? You add a graphic or a or a visual, and it's going to be two to three times more you know acceptable, more interesting. Yes, for sure. And it doesn't matter where the video comes. I guess, I mean, YouTube's full of them. I notice it on my own website. People do. They love, they love an infographic 
or they love a video. Yeah, it uh, it really you know. Well, first of all, when people look at you know the stuff coming into them, most of it is just text, and so if you 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 know you bang up a picture there, you're going to stand out right there, and I mean that that's just kind of <laughs> the physics of attention. Yeah. So. Do you think and as that's humans, a very simple thing. are we getting are we are we getting uh, so simple as humans that all it takes to entertain us now is a two minute YouTube video? And does this perpetuate I don't, I don't, that? Uh, you say it in such a negative way. I know, I do, I don't. I do. Well, part of it's because I go home and watch my kids watch you know three hours of two minute YouTube videos, and I yeah. think, ah, oh, you guys could have read a book. Uh, you know. My attitude towards that is, yes, uh, listen, I love reading. I've written 13 books, so don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it seems like every generation says that about the young people of their generation. Yeah, right? rock so and roll imagine, music. Yeah, so imagine if you were, like, uh, in Gutenberg's time, right? <laughs> so, oh, this this pain in the ass Gutenberg, he makes this printing press, and now there are all these books. So people are yeah. talking to each other. They're... They're sitting at tables reading. <laughs> They're not conversing. They're not engaging. Books are a horrible thing for it's society. True. That's totally true. Yeah, now we got to read. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's and true. And now we're saying, oh, reading is great. You shouldn't be on YouTube. And and I don't know why. Well, and yet, honestly, uh, I have a son that watching all of those videos, and I would imagine if he was just going to try to build his Facebook following, he would use a lot of really interesting videos about science and math and but he learned stuff that I can't even explain because he knows stuff about science and my kids will say dad why was the moon so close to us today and i and i'm like you know what talk to your brother go look it up on youtube it's but taller yeah it's powerful it, it really is a powerful tool i guess too well, if we're using it that way right well going forward you know that's a powerful skill the skill that Without asking anybody, you should be able to figure out almost anything. Yeah. Like, I'll give you a really stupid example. So uh, we have a dog who likes to counter surf and get into our trash can, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you go to YouTube and you you look up, you know, How did... stop yeah. dog counter surfing trash can. <laughs> it was like 15 videos about what to do. Are you do. serious? <laughs> Yeah. That's great. But this is a slice of my life last night. Well, so you're going to post and, that on Facebook? <laughs> you might want to. That's a great story. <laughs> and so, you know, is that good or bad? Is, yeah. Does that mean, you know, would it have been better if I I found someone who was a dog lover and we had coffee together and mm-hmm. we discussed our problems and all that? Or you go to YouTube, 30 seconds later, you're watching a video and say, oh, okay, that's, that's what true. i got to do. No, it's totally true. And it's, again, I like I, I see it just, it's a tool, right? These are just tools, but if yep. you don't know how to use the tools, then you might just be putting people off. You yep. might, like we were talking about hashtagging, and I'm, I'm a hashtag hack. I don't yeah. do it right. And so in your book, I guess that's one of the key things you're going to do is walk, do you walk through every different, you know, medium of, so, or, or every different type of social media? Facebook, and we Twitter. try to give you power tips. For, for example, with Pinterest, you should not hashtag. Uh, the, the aesthetic sensibility of Pinterest is no hashtag. Hmm. Instagram, you should. Yeah. The, the expectation on Instagram is you have four, five, six hashtags. 
So it's a very different world. Interesting. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break, and I want to come back, Guy, and have you give us just a bunch of other tools, a bunch of ideas we should be making sure we're using when it comes to social media. Plus, I have other questions about, uh, you know, if I only want to do two or three, are, are some of these more valuable for me in my life and others, those listeners. We'll, we'll come back more with Guy Kawasaki. He's got his new book, The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users, back after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Guy Kawasaki. He's the chief evangelist for of the company called Canva, an online graphic design tool. He's also the former advisor to Motorola, which was a business unit of Google at the time, and chief evangelist of Apple back in the day. He's the author of one of my favorite books, Enchantment, and uh, a bunch of others, nine others, plus the book we're talking about today, which is all about social media, the art of social media. Power Tips for Power Users, Mr. Guy Kawasaki. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Hey, uh, talk to me about um, this foundation. So if I took somebody from Mars and they landed here and I needed them to get up on social media, where would you have them start, Guy? Where would they? Where would just the newbie start? Probably... Uh, from Mars, did they have cameras on Mars? They cameras. They're they're pretty much like us, except one eye. <laughs> well, I, uh, probably Instagram because hmm. to see selfies of the first Martian that would be would huge. Be viral, yeah, a Martian <laughs> selfie. No, but that's a, but so because Instagram's all about just the picture. Yes, yes, and. Not clear that a Martian would know how to type in English yeah. or you they've know, got whatever. three fingers. They'll be fine. <laughs> so, it, it, so, so we start with be... Instagram, but Instagram wouldn't you need a Facebook page too? Wouldn't you want both? I, uh, you don't need to have them. Plenty of people just have Instagram, but you know there are there are tools where if you post to uh, Instagram, you can post to Facebook and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So you get two for one there. Yeah, so you could so, actually do – that's kind of what I end up doing with my company, which isn't well-guided because I just send <laughs> out the same thing to all three or four uh, different uh, you know, social media tools. But in the end, I'm not customizing them to that audience. And that's one of the things know, I know you're probably a big advocate of. No, but you know what? I send the same thing to three or four services. Okay, too. do you? Um, you can send kind of the same thing to LinkedIn, Facebook. And Google Plus. Okay. Pinterest is very different. You have to pin somebody else's site. Yeah. Instagram has to be a picture. Twitter has to be short. LinkedIn has to be long, uh, or longer. But uh, LinkedIn, you can kind of throw in the same pot as Google Plus and Facebook. Okay. Do Do you have any what What are some basic rules that you'd want to teach that for all of us that are using any of these different services? Uh, the most important rule is that you always add value with your post. So your post is not about promoting yourself. It's about providing curation or creation of content that people find valuable. And, and even and, if the valuable is just for your family. Yeah. 
Yeah, because uh, that keeps them coming fine. back, I guess. Yes, it's, it's just not telling people to buy your book or go to your webinar or something yeah. like yeah. that. Uh, as long as you're adding value, that's 90% of the battle. Does I mean, I guess that's, that is the research, huh? That we people want, and that's one of the benefits of social media is simply the idea that we keep, that's the currency, is we keep adding value for each other. And if I add value for you, you'll keep coming back. If I don't yeah. add value and I'm just self-promoting, you'll probably disconnect. Yeah, I mean, you know, how many of you TiVo QVC, um, <laughs> if you think about it? So it's, it's not true. only coming back, it's also spreading the word. Yeah. If you found this great post and shared it, and people who got it reshared it, mm-hmm. that's spreading your brand, that's getting you more followers and more awareness. It's true. I mean, we did it yesterday. We put up a, an article on my Facebook page. Normally, I'll get like 6,000 views or something on an article on, on something like, hey, I'm having a date night or whatever. But then all of a sudden, we put up a crazy, just an article about marriage, the secrets that you need to know, and yeah. 50,000 views. Yeah. It's just powerful. people want it. How many likes or fans do you have on that page? I have 40,000. Yeah, so that's very good. I mean, you, you got more views than you have followers for that. Yeah. So, so that, yeah. that worked. Now, the only question is, will we do it again? Because <laughs> it's, I guess that's the key to all of this social media stuff is be learning, which is probably why your book's valuable. We've got to learn and keep innovating because it's going to change it, constantly. Yeah, you need to keep experimenting. We experiment all the time. Yeah. So we have an experiment going on right now where I have on Facebook three absolutely word for word identical posts, and they were made um, early evening last night early morning this morning and mm-hmm. one more this morning at 10:30 and i want to see how many views they get for absolute repetition three times wow well, so my my uh, thesis here is that if you post it once you get x mm-hmm. if you post it three times you get 3x interesting so you can either get x or 3x yeah. it's an iq test is it uh, and the neat thing about social media and all of these sites is there's tracking. So now you can, if you make it more of a science where we're actually measuring stuff, and even mm-hmm. having a thesis is a great start. Like, yeah. hey, I wonder what yeah. will happen if I do this, and then you got to learn yeah, your I audience. That. I do that all the time. Does it? By fresh? the way, yeah. Ye- yesterday, uh, I have a new book come out. It's called The Art of the Start, as opposed to social media. Oh, interesting. So yeah, this is a book that's ten years old. And I completely revised it to bring it up to speed. And if you're an entrepreneur, uh, may I just suggest that you look into it? You bet. It's the art of the start, meaning like the start of a business? Yes. Ah, great. Yes. Is it, um, you, you probably ought to post a lot about it on your social media. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll, then you, we can. You know, uh, I tell people to act like NPR, provide content all the time. Yeah. You know, great content. So you earn the right to run your pledge drive. Yeah, it's true. That's true, I'm though. I'm running huh? my pledge drive right now. That's it. I mean, yeah. And if you if you do a pledge drive, one every twenty or whatever. What what is the number? Do you have a do you have a nice number for how many offerings that are non pledge drive com- related to every pledge drive? Uh, I think the right number is about one out of twenty. Yeah. So, so although yesterday we did a calculation, so we looked. I started on Twitter in August of two thousand seven, and I have about one hundred and forty thousand tweets. So we figured out that I tweet 50 times a day. Wow. No, but that, now, Guy, 
Guy, you're you're yeah. breaking the rules according to what people are telling me. But you're uh, not, are well, you? Listen because to your people, people will follow you. You know, they'll unfollow me. No, they are following you. They're not. You're not losing people, or you wouldn't do fifty posts. Uh, you know, I am not losing people because I post too much. Right. I may lose people for other reasons, um, and people may, may just grow tired of social media. Nothing to do with me. But I, I have made the calculation that. You know, yes, I may lose some because of this reputation, but also gain some for greater exposure. So Mm -hmm. when it all nets out, it makes sense. It's a gain. Yeah. So 50 times a day, I mean. Yeah. That's, I mean, mean, again, because you hear people just throw a number out, and yet in reality, it's really, the number has to be appropriate with your numbers, your business numbers, your business goals. We're talking with Guy Kawasaki, the author of the new book, The Art of the Start, that was just, uh, I guess, released yesterday, as well as his other uh, book on social media called The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users. Um, as, we, as we kind of wrap up uh, this, this segment, one thing that I'm seeing is a lot of blogging and a lot of blogging, uh, you know, a lot of people trying to grow a blog. Yes. How, yeah. What are some rules or advice you'd give on people that are starting blogs to, to keep it fresh? I mean, I know you're a writer, and you yeah. that was one of your fortes, was your ability to write. Are there are, any advice for the, the up-and-coming blogger? Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, blogging is very difficult because the expectation is 500 to 1,000 words at least once a week. Ugh. And that is a non-trivial challenge. I mean, it may not sound like much, or and if you're a reporter and you're doing that every day, it's not a it really big deal. Yeah, sound like much, but for most people, it's a lot, and it's a lot for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a very fortunate situation where I can pull an excerpt myself from the book, yeah, or books. But not a lot of people have that luxury, and so uh, blogging is a challenge, and. And one important thing to understand about blogging is use your social media to promote your blog. Many people don't do that. They separate the two. Yeah. So whenever I blog, all my social media is telling people to go read the blog. And, and you do that just to kind of stir the pot? I do that because I want to drive people to good content. Yeah. So, you know, I believe my blog is good content, so why wouldn't I promote my own content if I'm promoting other people's content? That's true. And this, I guess throw that in as one of your every one in 20? Or, I mean, it's already real content, so it is it is just an offering. Yeah, I don't count yeah. that in the, it's in not the 19. A, right. I, I, think it's, I, think, I think we're into this really interesting world where, you know, we don't necessarily need the big organizations to bring us the information anymore. Now, some of my favorite bloggers to follow are just, you know, some guy in his, you know, back room in his house but yeah. creating great content. And one of the rules, though, is you got to create content. And you've got it because if you get people used to following you and they're not getting something once a week, you're going to lose the pull. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Yep. Talk just as we wrap it up. Talk about um, I can't get enchantment out of my head. And it just <laughs> I think it's if you had to just define because part of what I think you're doing is teaching people to treat humans well, not always so you get something in return, but if you treat them healthy and well and 
I understand your goals. You understand mine. We can find this mutuality that where we all can benefit in a variety of ways. But just talk about the the impact we as humans can have with each other in social media. Sure. So the book is called Enchantment, and it is inspired by how to win friends and influence people. Where I applied sort of digital techniques to winning friends and influencing people. But the gist of it is that you have to be likable, trustworthy, and competent. And, you know, everything else flows from that. And then now we're fortunate that we have the ability to spread the word further because Dale Carnegie could, best case, fill a hotel ballroom. Right. You know, we, we have Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and Instagram and Pinterest to show people that we're likable, trustworthy, and competent. And uh, this is a much more powerful platform. So that, that's kind of the gist of the book. And uh, it's, I, write it, I write and have written that book really from a high ethical standard. It is not about you know, shucking and jiving and fooling mm-hmm. people and all that. It's not you know, 30 days to riches. Um, it really is more about social psychology than anything else. And using really your character and your likability, but your likability is your, kind of your trustworthiness to to influence people. And you you actually kind of make it an overt goal that we should be trying to influence. We're not. Yes. We, we we should be using our skills, our gifts, our talents to to help causes and people and lives. Right. Right. Well, the reality is, every day you have to influence and persuade people. It could be your kids. It could be your dog. Right. Uh, it could be your boss. It could be someone you're trying to buy from or trying to sell to. It could be how you check into, uh, you know, Virgin America and you're trying to get an aisle seat. I mean. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it could be the waiter or waitress trying to, you know, try to get faster service. I mean, who knows? But that's almost every human interaction at some point is influencing people. So. Right. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, as we wrap up, any final thoughts? Anything we need to know when it comes to social media or enchantment or even the new book, The Art of the Start, uh, and and the people in our lives? I think the key is to always be adding value to the universe. If you do that, you'll be enchanting, you'll be successful on social media, and you'll be a great entrepreneur. That's, that's pretty <laughs> that's much it in a nutshell. That's all you need. Uh, well, yeah. we appreciate it. Guy Kawasaki, uh, great job, and keep up the good work. I'm excited to to go read the new book, The Art of the Start. And again, all you got to do, you Google Guy Kawasaki, man, you are you're going to find one million entries. He's he's a he's just a great knowledge and a great resource for all of us. We'll take a break and uh, come back. When I come back, I've got some tips for you when it comes to social media and your marriage. You know, you got to be careful. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of people losing their closest relationships simply because they're not paying attention. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Social media. It's, it's, uh, it's here to stay. According to Homer Simpson, the internet looks like it's going to stay for a while, right? It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. 
So as a uh, relationship coach, I've spent about the last uh, 14 years working with couples and nine years before that working with organizations in how to create stronger teams, relationships. But when it comes uh, to social media and social networking, that's, that's a pretty new deal. So I put together a list about the top 10 rules that I suggest with my clients when it comes to their online kind of social networking habits and, and their marriage. And this comes just from a bunch of research, uh, and I could spend hours going into the research, but I'd rather go into the rules. Uh, if you want it, it's on my Facebook page. We're going to, uh, my, I'm going to have it reposted so that we have it up somewhere, and then we're going to put links on it on uh, my, my uh, Twitter feed as well. So, you know, we'll get it out there. We'll get it out on BYU Radio's Twitter feed as well. Ten rules. Here you go. Are you ready? Rule number one. Make rules together. It's not enough to just assume that everyone's going to do the right thing when it comes to social media. We need to sit down with our partner and agree to some rules for what you both think should be taking place. By creating rules, you need to both know what's expected, what you know, what's acceptable, what's not. In fact, just the other day I had my wife ask me, do you know who this guy is? And I'm like, nope. Oh, okay, because I don't want to accept him because I have no idea who he is. Um, and then another time she's asked me, you know, this guy, is he okay? And I did know him and I'm like, yeah, he's okay. So let's have him on the Facebook page. It's just making rules and figuring out how we're going to go through the process. Another one is transparency. One of my big rules in relationships in general is no secrets, right? We've got to put everything on the table. We should, we keep our, my, my wife knows my passwords. I know my wife's passwords to her Facebook page, to all of her social media, She should be able to access it if she wants. By the way, if she accesses it all the time, then guess what? It might be telling you that there's a trust issue. So I'm a big believer that we make it transparent. We shouldn't be setting up any accounts that our spouse doesn't know about. The minute you're setting up those accounts, you're probably starting to impede on the trust. There's a reason you're doing it. And if you don't want it above board, then you're going to take it underground. And once things go underground, they tend to get messy. Another rule, and this is this seems a little extreme, but trust me on it. No X's, meaning I personally believe that you should not have a ex-boyfriends or girlfriends, anyone that stirred your chemistry should, I don't think any of them should uh, be on your Facebook page. You shouldn't be following them. You shouldn't be seeing it. And I promise it sounds archaic. It sounds old fashioned. But when you go back in your most desperate time, when you've been rejected by your spouse and you don't like each other and it's, oh, they drive you crazy. Your tendency is going to eventually, you'll get back to Facebook, you'll go see that picture of that ex, and when you see the ex, you're not going to just start with an understanding of where we all are today. Your chemistry is going to fire for who that person was 22 years ago. That's where you're going to begin with that person. So if there is a strong chemistry, if you know, if you had a person that you broke up with that it wasn't a good break, you still can't get them out of your head, I would not have those people on your Facebook page, period. I, I promise you, I've seen like at least eight, nine people, ten people whose marriages have been destroyed and seriously impaired just simply by playing around on Facebook. Create an, uh, a time as a couple is number four, where you honor your couple time. Make rules for what time we're turning this stuff off. When do we put the Facebook 
away? When do we turn it off? Uh, how do we have, how do we, you know, have couple time? And I would honor your couple time. Your time together as a couple should always trump Facebook time. Personally, if I could, I would set a rule for everybody on earth to keep phones out of the bedroom. We used to keep televisions out of the bedroom. I personally believe phones should as well. Uh, there's nothing worse than, a, you know, a couple sitting there when they could be talking, they could be cuddling or connecting and just talking together. And yet instead they're on their technology. Another one is schedule. Online relationships have the habit of expanding to fill the time allotted, right? So you can do Facebook, social media, Instagram, you can do it all, and it will just keep going. For If you have three hours, you'll take three hours. Schedule specific time when you guys are going to go surf and be online, and then end it when that's done. Set limits. Some of these sites are just so addictive as video games, surfing the web. I'm so addicted to 1010 my favorite new app. And um, what happens to me is if I walk in, by the way, and I see my wife's on her technology, I, in my mind, think, oh, sweet. Okay, I'm just going to play 1010 just a couple times here. You know, and then an hour later, my fingertips are numb. (sighs) Set your limits. Make sure that you even talk to each other about your limits. I'm trying to only do this much of this and this much of this. Focus on the positive. Commit to only discussing the positive things about your partner online. Don't ever put a post out there that embarrasses her. There was the famous video that was put out by a husband. They were both in school, and the husband was teasing his wife because they were talking about the speed limit, and he just couldn't get her to get that. Okay, so how far will we be if you drive 55 miles an hour? How far will we be in an hour? And she, and she, anyway, it was, it was hilarious, but it humiliated her. And eventually when they went on TV, she made a point of saying, yeah, that humiliated me. And it's taken him a lot to make up for it. Don't just try to embarrass your partner or others. And I'm a big believer too, that let's not just keep promoting people looking stupid. That not only tears, you know, everyone down and the person down, it tears everyone that's looking at those photos down. Uh, make sure you're sharing what you're learning. There's some pretty interesting information out there, and it's a great way if you'll just turn your technology off, you and your partner could actually talk about it. Uh, we had a friend that we just found out passed away of uh, ovarian cancer yesterday, and then a lot of her friends started posting really wonderful stories about her and information about her, and my wife and I could dialogue and talk about that, and it created a very positive experience that helped us through that process. So share what you're learning with each other. My wife and I will constantly be sharing information, favorite, you know, stories, favorite, everything. Listen to your partner's concerns. When your partner feels that enough is enough, you must listen, folks. Social networking is something that should enhance your relationship and not detract from it. Don't just poo-poo their ideas. Listen to them. And once, uh, number 10, finally, keep it all in perspective. Don't let your online world take precedence over your real-life world. The minute you start to see distortion in wanting to spend more time online chatting instead of dealing with your real-world issues, it's time to take a break. I'm a big believer that you could take a technology break or fast from technology regularly. Personally, I would try it every single month if you could for sure. I just heard somebody give great advice that they basically have their kids every Sunday turn off technology until after dinner. And so they basically have, you know, an eight-hour, 10-hour fast from technology. Anyway, great ideas for you. If you want, you can go look me up on Facebook. That's one way to find it. You can also go to our Twitter page, go to BYU, uh, go to look us up at BYU Radio. 
Um, tons of good stuff. Guys, relationships are great. They're essential. Don't let social media get in the way. We're going to take a break and, uh, you know, refill the batteries when we come back. Starting hour number three, great topics on parenting and social media. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, your life coach, your guide on the side. On this program, we try to give you the tools, the ideas, the insights, the information, everything you need to not just get your day started, but to actually go make it a great day, a great life. Welcome to the program. And again, another great hour coming up. We are going to be talking a little bit later to Julie Nelson about uh, your children and social media, some of the things you might want to be thinking about when it comes to uh, you know, protecting them, making sure they're doing things smart. But as usual, we first start with a few of the headlines. And the earliest headline of the day was, I put a razor in my mouth. Not even a razor blade, an entire razor <laughs> Well, it was dark. It was dark. You I thought tooth- it was my toothbrush. Toothbrush in one hand, razor in the other hand. Yeah. You switched hands. You, you got, think yeah. because I had to open my mouth really wide, you would think I would have known. But I had 4.40 in the morning head. I usually function well. I've been doing this quite a while at this hour of the morning, but yeah, I function really well at Do that you? hour now. Yeah. Do you? It took about six months. There was some uh, hallucinating. Oh, really? Yeah. There was uh, driving. Sort uh-huh. of impaired at yeah. that hour is not really good. Slurred speech, because I've had that. There there was a period where I could not function uh, verbally yeah. and mentally. It was just cloudy yeah. because I was it was so early. James, it's like he's describing you oh, since uh, you got engaged. <laughs> I suppose so. I, like, I guess. So the early morning brain and the engaged brain, very similar. Very similar. I just check out of life. Have you put a razor in your mouth yet? Not yet. Good. I haven't checked out that much. Just don't. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Terry, if, if like one side of your face felt limp at all. No, there was no sort of uh, as a seizure past, or something going on. As a past EMT, that is a sign of a stroke. Yeah. No, no you strokes, are having a stroke. No, yeah. No, it's just a matter of your body is not ready to function and it takes a while to condition yourself to be effective at that hour of the morning. Yeah. But you know what's amazing about it? it I really do like getting up that early. Like, I mean, I don't. My body doesn't. My spirit loves it. I like getting an entire day's work in by noon. I do too. That was a, a very because it, it kind of blows people's minds when you mm-hmm. when you roll in at noon and you have the rest of the day to I accomplish like, what you need. And like, wait, you're done at noon? That's a great way to put it. So, I like getting an I, get, I like getting an entire day's work done and a nap by noon. Yeah. So just let's, don't do it while you're let's driving. Be clear about that. So when my door is shut in your office, in my office, and yes. my lights are out, okay, don't come a knocking. 
I always peek. I look around, see what, see what's going Everyone's on. Everyone's always pressing their faces on my glass. <laughs> is he in there? What's he doing? What's he doing? Is that Matt? Why is his head down? Is he, is he okay? A man needs to meditate. I was just meditating. You have talked repeatedly over the last few days about your addiction to certain cell phone games. Yes. I'm, it's not an addiction. It's an addiction. I'm becoming a, an, a professional gamer. That's what an no. addict would say. Yeah, an yeah. addict would say that they try to legitimize <laughs> yeah. their addiction. I'm addicted. There's some new studies out what? every day of new studies of all kinds there, of I, stuff. That's what's but so great about this show. one. I found a study has found the Japanese schoolgirls between the ages of 10 and 18 spend mm-hmm. an average of seven hours of day seven hours a day on their phone. Holy cow! Ten percent of those girls surveyed spend 15 hours a day. Last year. Uh, this is a, another, uh, it was involved in that, but it's seven hours a day on your phone. Do you spend that long on your phone? No. Are you so playing your I'm not, 1010 or whatever that, that you're playing right now, by the yeah. way? I'm not playing like a, like a, like a Japanese schoolgirl. I do not this, this, play, I'm not on my phone seven hours a day. I'm not. Are you on your phone more than seven hours a day? 14 hours a day. I'm on, no, I actually wow. don't like my phone a lot of the time. I only like it when... Um, Hold on, let me just get this piece in here. And oh there we go. Just finished. Yeah, the, the game's not a problem. Anyway, um, I, I'm hardly ever on it. Last year in China, media they reported that there were over 250 internet detox camps for teenagers. Really? Whose parents are concerned about the flagging academic performance and social dysfunction. Yeah. See, it's, it's getting away from us. It's slippery. So it's like a greased pig. And we're trying to wrestle the social media pig to the ground. And every time we grab it, it just squeals and squeaks out. Right. And it's a metaphor the, for the squeals, visual people. Okay. It is – you can see the, the addiction possibility, I guess. I don't think I'm addicted to it until my Wi-Fi doesn't work. And then I'm just uh, rage angry. Yeah. You know, just not angry, but yeah. rage angry because it's like, what do they expect me to do? I don't have Wi-Fi. How I can't am I even watch Netflix. <laughs> what am I and, supposed to do? And then I stop and go, wait a second. This doesn't feel healthy. It, and, and you know what's worse than that? But I'm still mad. It's, it, what's worse is when all you know you need to do is go refi your router. Just a re- I mean, go reset your router. Yeah. And you're too tired, too lazy to do it. And then I'm mad because my, ah! side, my side of the street powers out. Across the street, they're fine. They're, fine. they're over there with their Wi-Fi. Yeah. They're having a great day. So that's a sign. You might be addicted. Yeah, those are <laughs> Wi-Fi withdrawals. Yeah, that's See, true. and I, I don't think of that until it's gone, of course. And then, you know, well, I that's, to... again, part of the sign of addiction. Yeah. Landlines. Do you have a landline? I used to. No, we got rid of it. James, do you know what a landline is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm... I, I vaguely remember. There's there's some memory there. Yeah, yeah, slight. The number of homes with landlines is dropping. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they track these numbers apparently. First six months of 2014, more than two in every five households, 44% did not have a landline telephone, but had at least one wireless phone. Really? What percent? 44%. Yeah, I'm frustrated. We got rid of ours, and I think it was a mistake. We had had it for twenty. It's like a child. We gave. We got rid of it. One of our ch- favorite children. Five seven two one four two nine, gone. Which is why you just shared it on the air. Done. Call it a- all you approximately want. Approximately forty three percent of all U.S. adults live in a house with only wireless phones. Wow. Yeah. And you know what's great for me? Sad for my wife. Uh, when we have to have a home phone number somewhere, we I just I always put hers. <laughs> Her cell phone. Yeah, I don't know if she knows that, but. 
She'll find that out. I always put that because we don't really answer our landline. Don't you? But we can't get rid of it because every time we talk about it, my mom's always like, oh, you don't want to do that. What happens if the power goes out? And I go, the cell phones still work when the power's out. And he goes, not always. You know that landline's going to work. All right, mom. Yeah. So we kind of get guilted into it. And that's kind of, she calls me on the landline and. I know it's my mom. Wow. Which, you know. I never even thought of that. Yeah. So it's like a red phone. You like it starts like ringing and it's like, oh, yeah. it's my mom. Yeah, that, that sort of sense of like, oh, no, what's going on? Yeah. And then it's her just calling up to talk about something I put on Facebook. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, mom, I posted the picture. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a different age. I remember watching my sisters. The phone would ring. Everyone in our family would sprint to the phone because that meant you were wanted. And there was that anticipation of who's it for? Who's it for? Uh, yes, just a minute, please. And then they'd hand the phone to the person. And then we would all stand and watch that girl. Half She was tethered. She couldn't leave. She couldn't leave the phone. And she just stood there and all of us watched. She's like, give me space. Is it for me? <laughs> get out of my – get out of here. I need to talk to him. And they'd go right in the closet, right by the phone, and just sit in the closet and talk. Now look at us. Now our, we can go anywhere with our phone. Yeah, just grab your phone and go. And play 1010. It's a wonderful game. Which I think you're managing it well. Did I just put it away. You just put it now. away. I only play it during very, breaks. Very grown up of you. Yeah. You know where it's tempting <laughs> though, and this is bad. Restrooms. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a social acceptable behavior standard in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm not sure where that is. We're going to have to blow that up. We're going to blow it up. But before we blow that up, let's have uh, – we're going to have Julie Nelson here. We always call her Julie K. Nelson. Uh, she is um, a an educator from – had a master's degree from Brigham Young University – or a master's degree from Utah State University. Works at Utah Valley University in educating parents on how to you know work with your kids, how to be a better – teacher, basically, how to gain power and influence with your children. She's also the author of the book uh, about uh, improving your spiritual power. We'll talk about that as well. She has a website, Two Spoonful, or a a Spoonful of Parenting. And when we come back, Julie's going to talk to us about social media and our kids, what we should be paying attention to. Stick with us, folks. Through the break, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house is the the bomb mom, the child whisperer, we call you, Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com. She's one of our great contributors. She's on regularly and is uh, also has a has delivered a new a new one, a new baby, mm-hmm. a new book. Keep it real and grab a plunger. Twenty five tips. For surviving parenthood, congratulations! Thank you. I just got my uh, what do they call it? Your you know complimentary copies, yeah, yeah. mailed to me in a box and picked up my last my first one uh, so yesterday. Now, yesterday, it, yeah. it's done. Yeah, it's done. I have it in my hot hands. That's amazing. Yeah. Doesn't that feel good? It does. And it really, it's beautiful. It looks really good in my hands. So we had Guy uh, Kawasaki on earlier. I think he had nine books. Yeah. So oh, seven man. more. You're yeah. up with Guy. Oh, my gosh. That's that's hard too, but you have this never-ending source of stuff to write on because you're a mom. 
Yeah, constant material. My kids, I'm always saying to my kids, "Hey, I'm going to use that." Is okay. <laughs> no, I say that all the time. I, I don't. I say it more sarcastically. Like, oh, you just made my show. Right. I'm or like talk yesterday, about I said to my my daughter Rachel because I teach at UVU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I teach parenting, and I'm like, Rachel, I talked about you in class yesterday, and she's so used to it, she doesn't even care anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. She doesn't care if it's good, bad. Isn't that funny? If I embarrass my, yeah. her or not, she's so used to it. And when I don't I even the, ask what I said. Yeah, they don't even ask They're anymore. Like, oh, good. Yeah, when I wrote this book, I did a uh, you know a, a, a copy. Uh, that I was reading to, you know, for the final to edit it. And I was driving her up to college and in the car, I started reading it. And you were like, driving and reading? Well, no, my husband was okay. driving. I was reading That's it good. out loud. And, I, and she was in the car and I'm like, oh, Rachel, you're like in every chapter. And she goes, I know I was that bad, wasn't I, mom? <laughs> Rachel, you are 13 out of the 25 tips. <laughs> That's so that's but great. she doesn't care. They're so used to it. Yeah. Are your kids uh, becoming overwhelmed with all the social media? You know, uh, they are overwhelming me, is what I should say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not overwhelmed at all. They love it. It's like, it's just they're eating it up. We like talked everybody about else. It. It's now like when BYU uh, announced and everyone got their letters if they got into BYU or not. Mm-hmm. It. I bet you Facebook and Twitter feeds, they all just took off with everyone saying, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And others like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So it's now everywhere. Everything is now being done through some form of social media. Yeah, and it, it creates a lot of anxiety, uh, social media does, and um, not just with parenting, which is our topic today, um, but with the kids we are parenting. Uh, because that example, um, you have your friends who now are all blasting all over the world mm-hmm. if they're into the major colleges or not. And then you, of course, have to say if you are or yeah, not. And what yeah. if you didn't? Not, sorry. Now, everyone's up there going, hey, look how great I am, look how great I am. And then you're like, you know, it's, it's amplified. Yeah. Everything is amplified. You know, when I was in, you know, the same shoes as they were years ago, you know, your few close friends, you told them, you know, and then you kind of shared those who you were trusting of. And there's a handful of them. But now it's hundreds of people are all saying, you know, you're all everybody that you're friends with on social media. And you have to you have to broadcast whether I'm into the Ivy League or not. And then everyone makes you look good or bad. And there's a lot of anxiety with having to compare. There's pressure that 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 does create anxiety with with a larger scale. Yeah. I mean, and that's just one idea. Yeah, that's just one. one. That's not even getting into other information that's spreading, like yeah. hotcakes. Well, the, all the selfies that show every little angle of every you know part of your body, and I have to compare that part of yeah. your body with my part. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not as you know yeah. that stuff goes on and on. Once you're doing that, mm-hmm. never going to win. No. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're doing body part comparisons, <laughs> never going to win. What yeah. about to just the simple idea of? Um, Bullying, and mm-hmm. now there's kind of a more, I guess, aggressive, aggressive or passive aggressive way to have people gang up on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, these chat boards. Mm-hmm. I, I feel so bad for somebody that has something go wrong publicly mm-hmm. because all you need is, you know, then somebody posts it, your most embarrassing moment, and then hundreds of yeah because everyone's got phones everywhere they go so they can capture any moment your worst moment where you slip and fall in the cafeteria yeah. and everyone's you know going to take a camera shot of that and then it's everywhere oh it's hard mm-hmm. so as a mom what what are some of the ideas that you you put out for our kids what what should we be doing when it comes to social media how much do we rein it in we don't want to also hinder them because they're going to be using this the rest of their lives and 
There's super powerful advantages to it. Well, can I just promote you for a minute, Matt? Please do. Because on the in between segment between Matt and, or between Guy and me, you had 10 tips you put yeah. on your. Yeah. I was listening to that going, that's so right on That's with your child. Need, huh? totally. You did it with your spouse. Yeah, but to do it and But listeners, it. go back to his website and look at those 10 tips. You know, talking, yeah. scheduling, uh, having everything open and, and transparent and uh, limiting, you know, no and not in your room. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm no, a big believer of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and having fasting times where there's not time. Like we um, – even in my book, the uh, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, I've got a, um, a chapter all on technology and usage. And and one of them is having limits. Draw a line in the sand saying yeah. when is it not you know acceptable to be using your phone or any tablets, anything. And having you – know, this is quality prime time family time. It's, it's etiquette too. There's, it is. There's an etiquette to mm-hmm. this and – and mine, mine are, and I, you know, not everyone can agree with this because it's, you know, you can decide when. But mine is meal time. Mm-hmm. We do not have phones at the table. Yeah, because this is where I look at you face to face and find out what's going on in and your you life. Read their eyes. Yes, and then we have family councils once a week. We we sit and just talk about calendar, what cool. issues that are going on. No, no, none of that during yeah. that time. You know, we have just, you know, you can handle it for thirty minutes. Yeah, and there's just certain times where we say, you know, after a certain time, you know whatever that might be at night, they don't follow you to your bed and yeah. you don't go to sleep with them because kids will be up all night. We've had sleep experts on the phone that mm-hmm. say you shouldn't have them on after like about eight o'clock at night. You should really have no screen time mm-hmm. because the screens emit the white light or the blue light, mm-hmm. I guess they are. And mm-hmm. the blue light messes up your serotonin. It and- does. And and teenagers are just being wonked out with their sleep and they're going to school and not be able to concentrate because of sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, but also the other thing about it, I'm not sure what studies have done with this as well, but I p- believe personally from how my mom raised me and then how I raised my children is that the later you are at night, the less your, um, how should I say this? Your body does not have the defense mechanisms. Yeah, your willpower. Your willpower almost. goes. There's huge and research after, on that. And after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, even midnight, nothing good happens. Mm-hmm. You're my tired. Mom, my mom would always say nothing good happens after midnight. That's, well, that was her mantra growing That's up. That's true. You've got to be in, 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 in your bed, Julia, because nothing good happens after midnight. And so after with social media, you start looking at sites that you may say have said no to at 8 o'clock in the morning. But not at 2 o'clock in the morning. My and, parole officer said the exact yeah. same thing. <laughs> Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah, and so, you know, if they follow them to the bed, it's not going to be good. No. There is research on that because it's about energy. Your willpower is about your energy. Yeah. So you have more willpower in the morning. Mm-hmm. So the rule should always be do the hard things in the morning uh-huh. and do the easy things at night. Yeah. But don't do the easiest thing. Yeah, so what mom media. taught me and what I taught my kids is all backed up, I'm sure, by yeah. scads of so research. So your mom knew. Yeah. Well, she wasn't even a researcher. Oh, I know. Hey, you've been looking at an article we found for you. Um, it's 12 Most Important Ways Social Media Changed Parenting. I mean, the, what's interesting about it is we always worry it's changing our kids, but it's also changing how some of us are parenting. Are you seeing that? Well, what I found is, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, the that, idea was a mom throws her mm-hmm. silly little concern out there. My daughter's doing this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Is that well, a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Then you throw your kids under the bus. <laughs> I think what's happening is, and I read this in the Washington Post, is that technology itself is raising the way or changing the way we parent our own kids. Um, we mentioned before about how technology amplifies everything yeah. that you do. 
So yeah, I'm amplified in my connection with the world. What's happened in let's say the last fifty to hundred years is that we've grown from a connected society where everyone grew up next door to generational neighbors.、Mm-hmm. You know, they the grandmas live there. The you know, you're the Joneses. Yeah, we all know we the all, Joneses. We know everybody, and we live in this communal type society, and we live in the same home, and 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 we had extended family nearby. And then everyone's now, you know,、Gone. everyone leaves. We、yeah. we're not close. To, we're not connected to family. We don't know who our neighbors are anymore. But this is our neighbor. Technology is our neighbor. It、yeah. brings our neighbor into our home, and we need that as as social beings. We、it's、need、huge. we need to be connected. And so,、yeah. since we live in this, you know, society where we're moving all over the place, we still th- need to have that feeling of I I need to know my next door neighbor.、Yeah. I need to know my mom's not here with me, helping me raise my kids. How do I breastfeed? Well, I'll go on Google, and, and、yeah. Google will be my neighbor. Google's my mom. Yeah, exactly. So、it's、we'll、true. find all my information. So now I go to chat rooms. I go to mom boards. I you know dads. Every, we all want to find that that sense of connectedness. So yes, it does amplify、mm. our. A need to not be isolated anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so that's great. That's great. It's a great source. It's a great source. But we got to use、mm, some good judgment there. Yeah. Because what happens is we get in there and we could find some people that give us some really good information where we just feel isolated. How do I breastfeed or how do I deal with my, you know, teenager or my two year old who's tantruming?、Um, but at the same time, we're going to get lots and lots of feedback, and not all of it might be correct. Right. Not all of it's expert. In fact, all of it there could be lots of contradictory stuff.、Uh-huh. So how do I weed through it, and how do I balance, and how do I find my own voice in this cacophony? It's interesting. It's, there's the there's the the, there's the dilemma. I guess you have more information than ever at your fingertips, and yet a lot of it's not. Worth, yeah, hella beans. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. So there's it's impacting parents. There's a cacophony out there going on. How do I sift through and find what's right for me? Well, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. And I want you to teach us how, as parents,、mm-hmm. we should be doing the sifting. Now, you, you, I'm, we're having you do it because anybody that's written two books, we know is a big deal.、Mm-hmm. Should be. You've done a lot of sifting. <laughs> You've been sifting again.、Yeah. The, uh, we're talking with、uh, Julie Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting. Two books, by the way, under her belt: Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep Real and Grab a Plunger. Twenty-five tips for surviving parenthood. When we come back, she'll give us insight on the some specific ways that we can maybe more effectively manage our social media. And our parenting skills. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Julie Nelson from the website aspoonfulofparenting dot com, and she is coaching us on how to、uh, parent. You can use the media and social media as a resource, but you also got to be careful with it too, because not everything out there is legit. And so she's trying to help us kind of figure out how to become better parents using social media more effectively. Julie Nelson, welcome back. Hey, good to be back. By the way, the author of Get real, get it, re- or keep it real. Keep it real, and grab a plunger. Gra- I know. Grab- By the way, if I had a dollar, 
for every time someone's yelled that at my house. Grab a plunger. <laughs> We'd be very. We wealthy. figured there's nothing more practical in parenting than having a plunger nearby. That's so true. <laughs> every floor should have a plunger, by the way, <laughs> and Just a really to, big one. A, a rule for you, exactly. Yeah. What uh, what what do we need to know when it comes to parenting? And even and the use of media and social media. Yeah, I think number one is we need to realize that that, that it is um, it does enhances our capacity to connect. Uh, it does just accentuate um, the the connectedness of community. Yeah, but it also accentuates our um, perfection. Mm. And that really we are loath to show our bad side. Yeah. And so we just post mostly all the beautiful pictures. <laughs> and it's the Pinterest, you know, fail yeah. idea where we really don't see what's going on behind the curtains. Yeah. And all of the, you know, misbehaving kids and how they don't look perfect. And we just p- take the picture of what's most beautiful. See, those so- are my favorite posts by people are when they – you I just love see the it kids too. going crazy. I love it when people actually show that there's another side to parenting. Yeah. Not that we have to glorify. No. And I have read it's many bloggers it. that I'm not too f- a big fans of where all they do is just talk um, trash yeah, about, about how uh, the, how unhappy they are and how their kids make them crazy. Mm-hmm. And they think that's funny. Now, okay, let's all have a bad moment now yeah, and then. Let's be real. Let's it's be hard real. Sometimes. Let's be real. But not, t- not time after time just talk yeah. about how unhappy I am and how my kids are rotten. But do, do mention and do talk about, you know, how you struggle. Yeah. Be real with that. But then also talk about the joys. So we have a good balance out have there. Have you ever just been cleaning a wall and found spots that you're like, how did food get there? <laughs> Have you ever done that? There's spaghetti on my ceiling. Yeah. Let's you, see. Like, how really? Like that. <laughs> Was that someone testing for doneness? <laughs> and how come I didn't know about this? That's so true. I know. I love kids. Yeah. So let's let's keep it real. Definitely let's show that we don't have perfect days and that usually we're just good enough. Mm-hmm. But let's keep it at a positive tone as much as possible, being real at the same time. There's a good balance between not showing the perfect side or the rotten side all the time but somewhere in between let's let's keep it real on how much we love our kids they sometimes drive us crazy yeah. but then uplift one another on how we can look for the good joy in the moment um, have moments where we really feel like what am I doing but then how can I find the meaning in that yeah and help each other to find that rather than just rag 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 on how bad my kids are or how my house is dirty or just so the perfect side I think we do too much extreme out there right let's do, let's keep it real and and lift each other up up, yeah, at the you, same time being real. You heard that interview with Guy Kawasaki earlier. Yeah. That you have to add value and a lot of that confuses people because if you're doing your own blog, you know, your own Facebook page, your value is what? But my value might simply be saying – being balancing the good and the bad yeah. and balancing the real and the fake and – I like what he said because, you know, if you add value and people want to listen to you more if you have value is what he said. I think that as we show ourselves out in social media, we need to say, hey, I had a bad day. And I'm thinking through and then add some kind of value to that post where you can lift someone or help someone else who might also be That's in that same cool. situation rather than just dump it on them. Here's a bunch of garbage. Deal with it what you want. Or here's my perfect family. Yeah. Um, this is what you should look like. Because then what happens is is we have the perfect model out there. Most of the time, I think about 80% is all perfectionism mm-hmm. out there. And then we look at that and go, why, why does my uh, kids don't look like that? Yeah. Why, okay. And then we're kind of sucked into that perfection model, like the runway model where the right. girls are 
Laura 16 looking at the runway while going, why don't I look like her? Right. And we have all this comparison uh, anxiety. That's huge. Parents have the same problem with comparison anxiety where I don't look like that in public. When my kids go to the grocery store, they don't look like that. And I even have my daughters who grew up following bloggers. They didn't even know who the blogger was. Yeah. That these are popular bloggers who are just popular, but just on the fact because they have cute kids and can dress them up cute and can take them to the grocery store and look oh, cute while they're while they're shopping or at the park yeah. or you know and and they just want to look at this image of these cute kids and this yeah. cute mom and they think that's parenting. It's I not. want yeah, and then they're and like, then, I want twins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Let's so, just start with one. Yeah. So so keep it real, people. Um, we don't need to put that picture out yeah. there all the time. Talk about how you love them, but talk about how you have hard times, but then add some value. I love it. How can you help others through the process of finding your own answers um, and lift each other, but also, you know, don't gloss over. Yeah. Be real. I, yeah. I, I love that when I go to our kids' basketball games, there's like six moms filming each game. So if you happen to miss your child's shot, they caught it, and they'll cut it and edit it and either put it on their Facebook page or they'll send you a copy of it. So now all of a sudden I look at it and I think, wow, now it kind of is a community. We're catching our own kids' stuff and look, parents that look out for the other kids. I mean it's really – there could be a community side to this that we're lifting everybody and we're being real. Yeah. Some parents can't make it to the game. And you know what you'll find? You'll have more people who accept you for who you are, not the the fake person that you put out mm-hmm. yourself to be. And you'll have real friends rather than fake friends yeah. if you put yourself out. And not just glorify your imperfections or glorify your perfections, but just show a balanced side to reporting your lives. Yeah. Then you'll find more real people to connect to. That's cool. Yeah. And that's not that's not a big thing to ask for. Mm. Yeah. At all. So um, I think we can help each other out and have that neighborhood feel mm-hmm. through the internet if we also create a real neighborhood where you look over the fence and see the the, yeah. the yard that's not and cut. And go to a and real game with and real humans. Right? Yeah, and, and, and the kids who are playing in the mud. Yeah. I think we can do that. But we got to show that it's not the runway model, you know, yeah. um, picture that we want to put out there for our parenting and our kids. I What I like to do a lot on my Facebook page, we put a lot of quotes just that are motivational. And my kids, all of a sudden, I'll go look at theirs, and they're retweeting mine. They're reposting mine. So I know they're getting messages from that. And then we, a lot of times, will go grab our favorite motivational things that that are posted all over Facebook and social media. And as a family, we'll just sit and go watch three or four or five of these, and it creates conversations. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're now seeing, holy cow, this technology is teaching my kids. It's helping us start conversations. Yeah, I think technology is great. We just have to – and the Post article, the Washington Post, which we're commenting on today, it was called – it was uh, published February 23rd by Christine Organ, and it was called How Technology Has Changed Our Parenting Lives. I really recommend it to uh, listeners, and this is a quote I like from it. She said, there's a dangerous side as well. Due to the grip that social media has on our culture, there's a slippery slope into snapshot parenting. The rush of assumptions and comparisons based on the snippets we see online, the romanticism of parenthood, the inaccurate representations of our children, and the cynical um, tendency to share publicly and privately only the rosy side sides of parenting. Mm. So true. Yeah. I mean, and, and really, it's just some go one way to extreme, some go the other way to extreme, and yet there's something that's really powerful about the ebb and flow between the two. Mm-hmm. We got about 20 seconds. What's the number one thing as a parent we should be watching for? Uh, we should be watching for um, having open conversations with our kids. 
Yeah. Um, there's lots we can talk about with limits and things like that. But I think that we also need to find times during the day where we connect one-on-one and find out what's going on inside their heads. Eye to eye. Uh-huh. We have no idea what they're being shown on other people's phones at school, pornography, bullying, all kinds of stuff. Let's take times each day to connect with our kids and find out what's really going on. So good. Oh. Julie Nelson, go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com and check out our new book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Thanks, Julie. Yeah. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. I'll bring you a copy next time. Yes. <laughs> I need it. I need it. And I want to meet your daughter that's 13 of the 25 tips. Uh, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're going to go visit uh, our friends down in uh, Studio B, BYU Sports Nation. They'll be at the top of the hour. We want to find out what's in store for that show up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the matt townsend show hoedown inviting our two favorite cowboys <laughs> the guys from byu sports nation in studio b spencer linton and jerem jordan hey that's guys a, is that from hee-haw that, that is the hee-haw music <laughs> you brought it man holy cow you brought it I, you know what isn't that hot that did that not bring back memories I, I was tired until that moment. That was fresh. <laughs> fresh. Hey, the hair's growing in. Oh, yeah. Jerem's got his hat on backwards. Okay, <laughs> you, you just proved that you actually have a uh, oh, yeah. get up into radio. We, I didn't believe you till this moment. Well, I was going to talk about the massage you guys had today when you brought in the masseuse. That was weird. Right. We've been watching it up here all morning. I hey, honestly could use a massage. I got elbowed in the bicep playing church ball last night. Did you see? That's why church ball will kill you. Yeah, you got to be careful. You totally got to be careful. Hey, one of the things you wanted me to remind you guys about is uh, Anchorman names. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. I, 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 you know, I'm a pretty big deal. You are a big deal. Well, we're going to make it's you like a bigger an deal when you have an anchor name. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so here's the formula. Okay. And Jerem's is the greatest, by the way. <laughs> okay, here's the formula. You take your middle name. Yes. Oh, no. And then the... Name of the first street that you grew up on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So mine is Tate McClanahan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Alongside my cohort, Kent North. Oh, see? Mine is Martin Blaine. Yes! Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Blaine. Investigative reporter Martin Blaine has the scoop. <laughs> yeah, that or you can so be our entertainment sad. reporter, whatever you want to be. Martin Blaine. <laughs> Martin <laughs> Blaine. I think you, Martin Blaine's Martin English. Martin Blaine. Yeah. Yes. You guys. Our international correspondent. Oh, okay, okay. Here's one. <laughs> Ter- check this out. So Terry, producer Terry here, his is William 4060 South. Okay, it's just no, south. Yeah, yeah you tell, just you tell south. Tab that, yeah, you just okay. go south. You okay. get rid of the number. But because I, I thought forty sixty made him sound like a rapper. <laughs> so Terry, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like so, he's a rapper. Terry is doing traffic because he's he's Bill he's Bill South. He is Bill South, exactly. And in the traffic center, Bill South. Here's Bill. I-15 North. <laughs> That's so true. We've got our international correspondent. It is so true. Hey, guys, I have a milk update. Oh, by the way, I tried that stuff you gave us. It's good. Yummy, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you like the caffeinated milk or the decaf? Uh, Yes. Okay. <laughs> Correct. What is, well, yes. we've got a new update. I don't know if you know this, but they are now starting to add uh, Peeps. Peep is going to come up with its own milk flavor. Oh, boy. What? Yes. 
So you can have peep do, milk. Do people still eat those things? Yes. Who did? A, okay, after the Gonzaga game, <laughs> one Tyler Hawes had peeps in his hand out really? of the locker room. <gasps> see, he was that. But see, that was a branding deal. That was he was it's just not, trying to make was, money. No. Okay. That's e- that's, that's an illegal. inference to illegalness. That is an illegal Hawes, inference. That's true. He, no. We should not make that. He was yeah. he was just eating peeps in a couple months, maybe. In a couple months, he'll be the national spokesperson for Peeps. Shout one, out to my Peeps. In a couple weeks, that could po- be possible. <laughs> yeah, so shout true. out to my Peeps. Listen. Would you tell me? Would you? Which flavor would you want if you had to? If we forced you to a drink peeps? Peep milk, Ugh. I don't even know what flavors are there. Marshmallow milk, chocolate <laughs> marshmallow milk, Easter egg nog. Uh, I would. I would go for the chocolate marshmallow milk. Mm, I think that sounds good. Uh, how about bubblegum flavored marshmallow? <sighs> Not chicks. an option. Are manufactured. Not an option. Google. Uh, it's well, it's not an option. But honestly, I don't want peep milk. No, <laughs> nope, nope. It just sounds gross. It totally sounds gross. Who's Would you like milking these milks anyway? It's the weirdest thing, and I think it's just a brand gone awry. Oh man! Hey, yeah, you, you got to be careful. What are you guys hey. talking about today? Any Sports. news? Any news your way? Uh, we were just going to have news. a discussion about the you know the anchor name thing the whole time. Oh, wow! Listen to no. this. This is this is one of the weirdest things ever for BYU sports. BYU has asked Christian Stewart, the quarterback from last year, yeah, to participate in spring ball <laughs> because they have had uh, you know an injury, Uh-oh. and they've they're short. They only have three quarterbacks. Yeah, Taysom Hill, uh, McCoy Hill, no relation, and Hunter Moore. McCoy Hill's banged up. Taysom Hill doesn't participate in the in the uh, team eleven on eleven. Coming so off they're injury. bringing back well, the quarterback from last year to play in spring. Ball. He graduates in yeah. April. Well, but so yeah, so they they <laughs> he's know of eligibility. They know he's game. done, right? So, so they're they, aware. I, they just I believe need a body. Source, hold on. Sources close to the situation confirmed they are aware. Okay. that he was a senior during That's the good. season last year. That's good. It, it, why didn't they just choose one of us? Um, they wanted a quarterback. <laughs> they, they they wanted to get better. <laughs> Do they not know that I'm Martin Blaine? <laughs> Martin, Blaine Martin Blaine, our international correspondent. <laughs> that is so sad. Well, that's great for him. I mean, yeah, his I mean, life's been nothing dream, but surprises. Man. He's gonna he's gonna go throw uh, on pro day for Utah State University as well. Wow. Like he's just rent a quarterback. I know right he now. is. You do, can get him for your birthday parties. <gasps> does he do does I he do for, balloons? I think for two for two eighty <laughs> he'll throw like twenty passes. I can hardly wait. I need some I need some animal balloons. Uh good job, guys. Uh Martin Blaine signing out. Okay. Sounds good. Well Take McClanahan and uh Kent North. We'll we'll keep it real down here. We'll keep on it, BYU radio. Keep it keep it real. And hey, uh be watching for some peep milk coming your way. Yeah. That yep. we're gonna be gone for a week. So you gotta hit us up oh, uh in the next like three hours okay we'll have to hurry thanks guys be good take care wow why didn't they ask me to quarterback i'm offended see the quarterback option for parties would only work if he comes with a bouncy house yeah but a bouncy house that you could like tackle people yeah a tackle house that would be high quality for your kids entertainment that you would as an adult would want to jump in there in your kids party and take part in and it wouldn't be creepy because it's a huge bouncy house and there's a quarterback that's that's it's a deal. By the way, uh, write this down, James. Okay. Uh, if you just take a few notes on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mental note. Um, bouncy house football quarterback Stewart, guest, balloon, animal maker. Trademark. Uh, trademark that. Uh-huh. And call my accountant okay. to see how much one pays a balloon animal maker. That's good We're all set. All right.
like to make a note, so I make sure I get it done. Check. Hey, by the way, did you find that ironic, Terry, that when we found your anchor name, yes. it ended up being your real name? Yeah, no, it was really <laughs> kind of diminished the game it's a little so bit. Funny. But most of those games end up that way when they ask for your address. Mine always ends in South. In south. And that's my name, so yeah. We could change it. No, I kind of like my name. Let's kind of unique. It. From now on, let's call you Terry Bamberry. No. Okay. That worked? It did work. I All right. I thought that was hot. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Make a note here, James. Uh, must find new uh, name, surname. Is mm-hmm. it a surname? Is that the surname? Yep. Yes. Must find new surname for one Terry William South. There okay. you go. Thank you. Get that on the to-do list. Okay. <laughs> My list is getting bigger. You love your cell phone? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Would you like to have more data on your cell phone? I have a lot of data. Would you like more? I want more. You want more? I do. There's some people out there, they would want more. Yeah. I want more. I, I would want less, but I want better service. want <laughs> <laughs> better service. Yeah. Telefonica is a Spanish broadband company. Telefonica. They, I'm not saying it right. They, uh, operations in Europe, Asia, North America, all over the country, all over the world. Yeah. One of the largest mobile network providers in the world. The idea they have is that they could contract with a brand who would make a video or have a survey and the, uh, the cell phone user would then watch the video or participate in the survey, and by completing either one, ah. you get more cell phone data. Like monkey jump through the ring, monkey get more peanuts. Right. I like it. I think that's an idea that could take off? Well, I think it is. I'm already doing that on apps, right? Yeah. On well, apps, that's how I I, I was talking to my wife about money. this, and she goes, didn't you just do that on OneDrive? I'm like, oh, yeah, because if you uh, the last couple of weeks, if you connected your OneDrive to Dropbox, they gave you 100 gigabytes of space. Yeah. Google had one that if you did a uh, security survey, they gave you two gigs of space. Yeah. And so I've, I've been doing this kind of things for several years. I have a lot of free Dropbox space. Dropbox does it. Use. A lot of them do it. So maybe that's the way you do it. And that's a value add. In fact, Guy Kawasaki was talking about that. If you made it valuable for me to go through your hoop, I'll go through your hoop, but make it valuable. Right. A lot of times you go through the hoop and it's like, thanks. Like, yeah. That wasn't worth my time. But if there's a payout at the end, is there a payoff where – in this case, I got more cloud data that I'm probably never going to use. See, you know what? Let's go to the show now. This show, a lot of people would be like, why would I listen to that show? I don't get anything. Oh, but you do. Rich, rich interplay between all of us. You get to, uh, if we think back to our uh, seven o'clock show or the first hour of the show because some of you it was nine o'clock it'll be on the podcast in a few minutes we had she'll be malat today who taught us all about what's going on in the middle east worked us through that helped us understand that it's a serious complex issue and sometimes my friends the problems we're suffering today come from a thousand years ago in the middle east but some of them also come from things we did in the united states maybe 50 60 70 years ago and sometimes it comes from the mere fact that we didn't do something two years ago or we did too much. It's a complex system. You can't be turning the knobs left and right and expect it not to create problems for us. So we talked about that. And uh, that was, a for me, a fascinating discussion. Also, we talked with um, Guy Kawasaki today about the importance of social media. You know, you got to be a good steward there. But you also have the power to enrich people's lives and to 
to be a source. And that's one of the things we try to teach on the show. So you got that today. And we then talked with Julie Nelson about the power of parenting and using social media to help you but not hinder your parenting abilities. And again, Sports Nation, we talked to them about our anchor names. Martin Blaine, what was your name? Did you figure that out, James? Rich West. Yes. I feel like Utah, you we're going to have a lot of yeah. directions. Yeah, so cardinal directions. Not me. I'm Blaine. Oh. Martin Blaine. Here to serve. Um, good show. Well done, boys. Men. Do you feel good? I feel good. All of us. We're here. We're all part of the team. We couldn't do the show without you. You know, we've tried. And nobody's listening. So thanks for listening, tuning in. We're here every Monday through Friday. Three hours, my friends. Nine to noon Eastern time. Join us and come be a part of an opportunity for all of us to create a better life, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else. We'll be back here tomorrow. More interesting ideas, more tools to help us through this crazy thing we call life right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Until then, take care. 